everyone welcome to what are you watching i'm alex withrow and i'm joined by my best man nick dostal how you doing there duncan wedderburn Ooh, yes i got it i got the one i wanted i got the one i wanted that's what you wanted yeah. oh i wanted i wanted the rough um no one's gonna know what that means <laughs> oh my god i love that did you just make that up yeah yeah oh yeah. my god i love that the rough the rough uh um i'm a, i'm a. <laughs> I'm 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 so excited to be here to talk about this one. This one is uh, oh, this yeah. is great. There's going to be a lot of furious jumping going on on this pod. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa! Did you love that? God, I love that. I just uh, <laughs> never heard never heard such things. Yes, this is going to be a lot of fun. We didn't plan to do this episode. Actually, it was not outlined. And then some things happened. Some uh, some poor things. You know, some things that we're going to get to. <laughs> some poor things. Oh wow! Actually, the opposite of some poor things. But yes, rich? some poor things cinematically happened. Yes. yes, we did get some rich things happening in our life as well. But we both saw Yorgos Lanthimos's new film, Poor Things, which is going to be in Oscar contention this year. We both responded favorably to it. So we're going to have a sort of another mixed bag episode today. We're not even going to talk about poor things first, because I'm going to talk about why this episode is even happening. A few days ago, I'm like walking, you know, I'm walking into Target to do some holiday shopping, which is not fun. No. And an email pops up on my phone, and I can gather just from the preview that this is a fan email that is coming through the podcast account. And I'm like, oh, because they're pretty rare. You know, people will reach out via DMs on Twitter, DMs on Instagram, but the long, very thoughtful email, those are rare. We do try to call them out on this podcast. So we got an email from a nice fella. I should have asked if we could. I didn't tell him we were going to be talking about this. <laughs> so I don't know if he'd like us to say his name. But the preview that I see on my phone, I can gather that he is thanking us for turning him on to movies and for you know changing his tastes and putting him on to people like... Mike Nichols, Paul Thomas Anderson, John Cassavetes, Ingmar Bergman, which is music to our ears. And then I, you know, I was in the middle of doing stuff and I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's really great. Obviously, knowing that I'm going to read the email later, but just seeing that it like puts such a pep in my step. And that's all I thought the email said. But what did you think reading that? Because I forwarded the email to you. What did you think reading that? Like, just to hear that. What we say on this podcast is somehow motivating a 23-year-old, he did say how old he was, to watch all the movies we talk about all the time. And we're, I, he, he said his gateway to finding What Are You Watching was our Igmar Bergman podcast. And that's that right there is like enough of an email to just <laughs> send me on my merry way. But what did you think when you saw that? I, honestly, it, it was it's one of the greatest uh, compliments that I could have ever gotten in my entire life. Oh. To be honest, like it really is. You know, you you, you kind of set forth and you do things in the world, and you don't really know how it's gonna go. You do it because you believe in it. You do it because you think you've got something valuable to provide and i think we do on this pod like i've always believed in this and i hope so yeah yeah, yeah. like with like with, with everything 
when when you get something like this in return that just lets you know that um, what you're doing means something even more than we probably think it does. It's just truly the most humbling and um, and beautiful kind of uh, recognition that I think you can get. So um, I'm going to respond personally to this letter too uh, through an email. But uh, on here, I just wanted to just voice a, a complete gratitude and a beautiful, beautiful thanks. And 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 I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we're able to reach someone like this. Yeah. It's just, it's the coolest thing, man. And, you know, we talk about movies the way that we do. We like to talk about certain movies that people might not know or to tine, or to try to turn people on to. Mm-hmm. That's always been the mission of the pod. Yeah. It's yeah. always been... How do we talk about movies in a way that gets the conversation going, not about like why this is the greatest movie ever made. It's just why do you love it? And to kind of find things that are out there that aren't the norm anymore. For us, they are. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but but for the rest of the world, like these are almost like we're, we're putting up a fight to like keep these movies alive. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, so truly, truly, uh, from the bottom of my heart, a deep thank you and um, just awesome. Just an awesome, awesome letter to receive. It made my whole entire month and um, I, uh, I'm i just tickled, tickled. Tickled to death, tickled. He said after he discovered the Bergman pod, he's gone and listened to every episode, some even three or four times. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> And he said, you know, you both have completely changed the way I see film as an art form. So, I I mean, that just means it really does mean the world to us. And, you know, I get home from my shopping venture and I'm just kind of like winded and over stuff. And then I open the email and I'm actually going to give it its proper credit now. And I read the whole thing. And then toward the end, I mean, (laughs) I like emails like this are rare. It means so much to me when people are saying, you know, I'm discovering film through you. What he said next is so incredibly rare that I I don't even know if it's ever happened to me. He went on to say that he's getting ready to make his own movie and that we, you and I, what are you watching, is one of the biggest influences over his filmmaking. (sighs) That's insane. I mean, he puts us in with Cassavetes and Bergman and what are you watching? It just, he's listening to us and, you know, he wanted to share how important the podcast was to his love for film and him making an actual movie. And that's just fucking crazy. And when I responded to his email, I said, like, you've given us the best Christmas gift we could have ever asked oh, for. Like, this is, you, you have no idea, like, what this, what this does. I'll take this with me. And yeah, absolutely. Made my day, my week, my month. We're still talking about it. That's so, that is actually, <laughs> this letter is why I'm, I'm like, let's, Call this out on the podcast. I don't think this is too, you know, self-grandizing. We're we're just we're really giving our utmost appreciation, like from the bottom of our hearts. We, this really meant a lot to us, and that goes for everyone who reaches out. Oh you know, yeah, everyone. Really. We always we always get back to you. But yeah, everyone who reaches out, we're like, wow, this is just so nice. But yeah, this this email was really a gift. It really, really was, and um, it, yeah, it just—I uh, I mean, it's—it's it's hard to talk about without getting emotional. <laughs> I know. I know. It uh, it it just truly is the best thing, and it it um, it it makes us feel good that we're that we're able to kind of 
even remotely try to be able to do something like that. Yeah. Because, you know, you do this for as long as we have. And we've never really wondered, you know, is anyone listening? Because we, we know we, we, we've got our audience. But you, you, you don't know, like, sometimes, like, how, some, how special it could actually be. Yeah, no idea. And, and th- that's just such a, such a truly, truly valuable, valuable gift to, to give and to receive. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Like the, one, the mission statement, one of the mission statements of this podcast from the beginning was let's just talk about the movies we love. Let's just do that. And let's not, you know, we're going to give some negative opinions sometimes. We're going to share some somewhat negative opinions on this episode, but we're not going to go out of our way to shit on movies because that's so easy to do. And movies, because movies are not the center of culture anymore, they were this summer, which was awesome with Barbenheimer, <laughs> but because maybe once or twice a year when we were kids, movies would take over the culture for X amount of time. And because that so rarely happens anymore, we're like, let's just do our little small part to get movies or keep movies in the conversation. So if that can resonate with anyone, that is great. But the fact that it resonates with him so uh, intensely, just really, it genuinely took my breath away. And I'm not yeah, using me too. that sarcastically. I mean that literally. I was like, um, okay. So that was, that was fun. I'm really glad we gave that attention. Please send us, send us letters anytime. They make us feel real nice. (laughs) We'll we'll, uh, call them out on the pod. But what was cool was that he looped in a mailbag question at the end of his email. And I went, okay, we've gotten a few of those over, you know, the past few months. Our last one officially was like ages ago and people love that, but we'll just answer a few today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to give a spoiler free review of poor things no spoilers for poor things we're going to answer these mailbag questions then we are going to end with a pretty special what are you watching segment we are going to have a spoiler filled conversation about bradley cooper's maestro which is on netflix now and everyone can see it by the time this episode is out the movie will have been live on netflix for Seven, eight days, and I told you, I think this is going to be the movie that people are talking about a lot between Christmas and New Year's. There's usually one. We did a whole podcast on Don't Look Up in 2021. Yeah, this people is that. lost their minds over that. I don't really know what it was last year. I guess Avatar, honestly, but that wasn't really like controversial. But there's usually one movie at home that people are flipping out about, and people people seem to be a few ways about my show. We're going to get into all those. We're going to get into all those at the end of the episode. So that's, that's all. That's what we're going to do today. Hell yeah. Are you excited? Oh, you know it. <laughs> I need you to do the rest of this podcast in your best uh, Lenny impression. Well, boy, I think that uh, <laughs> if, 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 we, if we move on to the, oh, you, I love your blonde hair. I love your blonde hair. You do, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? That's good. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's just it's Oh, God. <laughs> and as it goes, you just, when it starts, he's like, uh, he's really like, he's forcing to, barely, you go, I really miss it. Uh, <laughs> he is, man. Uh, anyway. Oh, God. Okay. Let's, okay. Yes. Let's move on. Thank you again to our to the person who wrote the email. Sorry, I did, I should have asked if we could say your name, but you know, also thank you to people like John Klein, people like A Mind on Fire, our friends from Twitter, people like my friend Taylor, who literally let lets me know before I even listen to every episode. He's let me know what he thinks of the episodes. I have a good friend Tim who listens to every episode. Just everyone, everyone. Thank you, thank you. Seriously, all of our mad movie buffs, you guys are the best, and we yes. really, really do love you. And thank you so much for letting us into your ears, into your ears. Yes, 
And now we're going to let poor things into our hearts. <laughs> this movie rocked, man. Yes, God, it does. I love this movie. Did you like it? Okay, you liked I it. Loved we haven't, it. I know you saw it, but okay, I did not know you loved it. Yeah. We haven't we've we haven't talked about this at all. So I saw it the day it was available to see, the Thursday that it came out. I drove into DC to see it, like the 7 p.m. show. And really liked it and then saw it at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday. So just three days later. So I have two viewings under my belt. And I've just had – I mean, it, it's a lot to take on first viewing. There's, It's like a feast. It's a feast going on in a lot of different regards. So the second time, I could not focus so much on the story and just focus on the feast of everything. But what are your you know initial takeaways from it? I really, really loved it. And any fan of Yorgos – is gonna love this. Yes, you just will. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, you go into your ghost movie and you 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 kind of just throw all caution to the wind because you just don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah. So, <laughs> so true. Th- this is no exception, and I I was just I mean I I went through all the emotions with it. It was it was so funny. <laughs> I thought it was one of the the funniest movies I've seen in a very long time. I appreciated its uh, audacity and its edginess, but it, it's also it it took care of everything too in in a tasteful mm-hmm. way. It actually has a wonderful wonderful message in it. <laughs> it does. I yes. Yeah. It actually, really really. I, does. I think. Yeah. I think it's a super super empowering film for women. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, yeah. Absolutely. It's yeah crazy good this way. And uh, but you wouldn't you wouldn't imagine how it could get there the way that it does, like no. the fact that it pulled that off in the way that it did is just mind boggling. And you're you're yeah, it's a feast. It really is. It's a visual feast. It's a mental feast. The movie it, it seems like it's seemingly on fire the way that it moves because you just don't know where it's gonna go at any moment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and wherever it does, it's the best possible place it could have gone. That's the only way I can kind of like think of like scene to scene. Yeah. How they yeah. were going to go. I was just like surprised, um, pleased, shocked, and taken by every step of the way of this movie. Oh God. I love hearing all this. We had the exact same reaction just to everything. It's, you know, this, I don't, I look up nothing about movies before I see them. I was texting you that I had not even looked at the poster for this movie. So there is someone who pops up. It is a third act. You don't want to say cameo, but someone comes in and steals the movie in the third act or, you know, it's just, oh, it's so great. There's a, I, there's gotta be a term for it where they just boom coming on screen. And I had no idea. And we're going to have to decide if we mention him on the podcast or not. I don't know. Anyway, for movies like this, I'm like, what the hell could the log line be for this? Like Oof. on IMDb, like how do you categorize this? So I actually copy and pasted it. The incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist, Dr. Goodwin Baxter. Huh. So that's okay. That's like pretty surface level. But so just to go like, you know, a few steps deeper. Emma Stone plays Bella, and Bella is unique, certainly. Yes. I don't want to reveal why she is the way she is, but there is certainly a developmental change within her as the movie goes on. And 
I, I mean, I didn't know any of this. I, I didn't know what the story was going to be. So I about like and, and they don't you know, they, it's not like they string you along and then you find out like they, they like you said, they're they're carrying you and they're delivering everything exactly the way it should yes. be. It's not like in the very first scene, there's some diagram explaining to us why she is the way she is. No, nope. they wait, you know, 20 minutes and reveal like chunk A of information, then wait another bit of time and you get chunk B of information. So you're putting everything together and you're like, oh, OK, OK this is really dangerous. <laughs> like, <laughs> how are they pulling this off? How are they doing this? I mean, first of all, you would just have to have actors who are so completely willing to go for it. Yeah. And when I was watching the movie, I realized very quickly, okay, so everyone in this movie is going to be naked, both literally and figuratively. And they are. The whole thing is a high wire act. There's absolutely no hiding in this movie you have to be completely unafraid to make a fool of yourself and know that in making a fool of yourself, that's actually the take that's going to be on film. <laughs> like, that's not your warm up. That's actually the thing. And every per what I texted you was that that is the freest movie I've seen of the year. Everything about it just feels so free yeah. in the best way. That's a great way to say it. There's always a. There's always an uh, an expression that I hear a lot in the world of acting is that like in order to actually be good at it, you cannot be afraid to make a fool of yourself. Mm -hmm. You cannot be afraid to fail, to try something, fall flat on your face and, be, and, and have fun in that. It seems like every single actor, that's exactly what they're doing in all of this. <laughs> it's crazy how Yorgos works with his actors because I've heard there's a lot of rehearsal well, did you hear about this one specifically? This one specifically was different from yeah. the other ones. Yeah, yeah. And I really have to credit Emma Stone for all those things that I've heard her kind of go on record about saying about her personal kind of producer-like approach to this movie. Like, she really kind of got hands-on in almost every aspect of this movie, from the costumes that she was wearing to where she was at at each phase of the movie and and having those conversations with Yorgos, that's a that's a leader right there. Oh yeah, and she is a credited producer on the movie, which is yeah, she is yeah, remarkable. Yep. And yes, the she's front and center the entire film. It's it's her right there, and her character does go through an evolution. So having to track that yes. while you're filming would have been so immensely difficult because for starters, they don't film movies in order. Yeah, so the first kind of chunk of the movie in the last chunk of the movie they film those back to back and there's a huge change within bella from that from the beginning to the end and to have to do that would have been that's just a technical marvel in and of itself and i love calling that stuff out as a way to give credit to the actors i think it's the most impressive uh th thing about her performance is that it's the tracking yeah. of exactly where she is because you feel it as you're watching, this doesn't ruin anything. You feel it as it goes on, but you don't, you're not thinking that it's happening. You're just right. noticing. I, I did not think that at all the first time I watched it. Yeah, it's very subtle. Yeah, I thought, I go, wow, we are like growing with her. I, at one point, I go, this is just amazing that she's kind of got the specificity of this, the, the, the arc, I suppose. You know, it actually reminded me, this is a great compliment, but in a completely different way. It it was as fluid and kind of amazing to watch as Denzel and Malcolm X. Oh, Because cool. we go through those yeah. 
Because yeah. those phases of his life. Well, he's educating himself as the movie goes on. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't ever once in that movie feel like, oh, this was a weird change. Now all of a sudden it's right. here to here. I, I felt like it was just a seamless upward progression. Yeah. And that's exactly how this was too. It's like reading, Um, I don't know if you ever read Flowers for Algernon. It's a book about someone who gets like uh, some sort of brain surgery, a guy who has de- developmental disabilities. So when you start the book, it's very kind of poorly written because it's all written by him. And then as you go on, he's getting more intelligent. So it gets it's really interesting. So the writing gets better. Oh, that's 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 very cool. Yeah. And they made a movie about it with Cliff Robertson called Charlie. I think he won. Can I do it? I think he won actor in 68. Yeah. He's the uncle from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. Oh, that guy. okay. Uncle Ben. Uncle ben. Like, yes. In Poor Things, there is like, it's changing, but it's not, it's not abrupt where you were like, no. oh, okay. That, okay. We missed a lot of time there because like a lot of time with her is accounted for. So when it makes these leaps, it just does it. Yeah. Very subtly. And that's all credit to her. It is. And the way they did this, I heard they spent 10 days just rehearsing, but they barely looked at the script. They yeah. just did like animal exercises you could probably speak to this better than i can animal work like circus stunts just like he's like we were i've heard ruffalo talking about this i've heard emma stone they were just like this traveling circus that when you got there on the day to film you had to be able to just let it all go and act a fool and i even heard uh ruffalo say that on his first day he was terrible like he was really really bad and just doing way too much and yorgos came over and was like you we already did this we did this for 10 days and you don't need you don't need to mug to the camera you need to kind of let it go so they actually threw out all of his first day of shooting wow which is a really kind of it's really big for ruffalo to admit that and then really what what a what like a fantastic hands you're in as an actor for to know a director will do that to just trust and go okay cool you know we'll make it up we'll make it up and we'll just do it the next day it was like a scene with him and willem dafoe sitting at a table and talking and he he was just you know too big and Uh, then they they tapered it back and found found the right balance because he's (laughs) we'll talk about it but he's big as hell in this movie but so you know but that's what i mean it's all this high wire walking on a razor's edge act because you can go too big but then you you also have to fit in with the tone of everyone it's just so that's what those 10 days rehearsing would afford you well that's because when you are working with something so specific in its tone everyone has to be on the same page every actor Mm -hmm. um because if you're not it the the humor isn't going to come out the 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 world that were and, and Yorgos is all of his movies are like this. Like if you really yeah. if you when you watch Killing of a Sacred Deer, <laughs> you can see like every single character in that movie behaves a certain type of way, and it's so yeah. different from this. But every single character in this is a certain kind of way, and the movie's whole entire humor, uh, poignant moments, all of this and that will not land. Unless everyone kind of knows that this is where we're at. Yeah, that, that does take rehearsal. Because mm-hmm. you can't just show up on the day and expect. You have to be in that world. And then, 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 as you say, kind of like ride that high wire. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the actors. Because Emma Stone is Bella Baxter. We're... Her first movie was super bad. So we've like yep. we've watched her career grow in real time. You know, Zombieland, Easy A. Easy A featuring a supporting turn Ooh. by Nick Dostal there. Sure did. In the background of the classroom. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> yeah. It. 
your beloved crazy stupid love so we're watching her grow she gets to birdman where she's playing this angsty daughter that i thought was really refreshing we hadn't really seen that from her that's her first oscar nomination and then she's in la la land and very quickly poised to become the next young ingenue of hollywood the next young best actress oscar winner i like la la land i still like her in it i still i still don't think that movie the end of that movie gets the credit it deserves. Oh, the I ending think it is the best is thing. a gut punch of tragic acceptance. Yes, yeah, it is. I really, really like that. And I'm glad she won Best Actress for it. That's fine. And then two years later, she's in The Favorite, and that is completely different than anything she's done. She's You don't really know it when you're watching it for the first time. It takes a while to catch on how, how vindictive, spiteful, manipulative she is. I love her in that movie. She was in, oh, she started a family, had a child. She was in Cruella, which was a massive hit. And now she's crushing 2023. So leading up to 2023, what are just your general, you know, Emma Stone thoughts? I know we've talked about her, but. I've, yeah, I've always been a fan. I've always thought she offered something very, very refreshing. She She's one of those people where um, no matter when she's on screen, you're looking at her. She she she's yeah. got that it factor. She's got that movie star type of quality, but she's very real about it. Like all of her performances are very um she's never really playing the star. She's always kind of like I think that that's sort of what makes her star quality is that she never kind of comes off as that, but she has that. I've always just been waiting for the 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 true actor to come out because I'm like it's there mm-hmm. I, I've always seen it. I'm like you can do she, her range is crazy and I always believe her in everything she's ever done but I was like let's see the let's get weird and the favorite was really the first one to do it yeah and yeah. Um, there's in Birdman it was there like she's had like almost like a very good progression like her character in this in terms of her acting career she started out yeah and then just, just keep going up. Uh, and now, I mean, this is just, this is a, this is an all time performance. It really is. And she's, she's having one hell of a year. I would say the actor strike, uh, really of all the people it hurt, it really hurt her a lot because she has a show going on right now called the curse on Paramount plus of which I'm watching every episode. This is Nathan Fielder. He made Nathan for you, the rehearsal. This dude thrives off cringe comedy. He's some sort of cringe comedy genius. But the curse is way, way different. Fielder and Benny Zafty created the show together. And Zafty is the co-star of the show with Fielder and Emma Stone. And it is just so strange. I love it. I've loved every episode. I've laughed. I've been really scared at times. And Emma Stone's just absolutely vile in it. She's complete entitled trash. Oh, amazing. A gross person. There's... Damn, there's nothing redeemable about her. And it's it, it's something I've never seen from her before. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's so that's been a joy to watch. And then, boom. Yeah. December, we have Poor Things, which is going to get her nominated for an Oscar. If she had not won for La La Land, uh, she would she'd be in very serious competition to win this. Like it, it would be tough. She would have been in serious competition to win the Oscar for the favorite as well. But she would be up there. I still I still think that's Lily Gladstone's. I do think best actress is. I don't know though. It's early. Who knows? It's early. It's but, early. Yeah. She is so good as Bella, just yes, following her from place to place, interacting with different person, different person. And we're watching her discover herself in many different ways. Sexually, of course, that's a big focus of the movie. 
which we'll talk about, but just in every way. And what I noticed as we go along is I went, this person is, apply whatever word you want to it, uh, young, naive, all this stuff, but she never lies. She always stays true to who she is, even if that means having incredibly difficult conversations with uh, men in her life. And it's always men who react poorly to her speaking her mind and speaking not her truth, just the truth. She always tells the truth. And it's, you know, we're we're reserving a lot of things about Bella, about Emma Stone's arc, just about the movie in general, because I really want people to go and watch this. And it's, you know, it's being, this is getting the old school, slow release. It's doing, you know, it was in New York and LA and then it's just slowly, slowly. And I think that's going to serve it well because this movie is not for everyone. No, and it's not. No, your ghost. Yeah. No, your ghost movie is. And I love that he wears that as a badge of honor. There's nothing in this movie that is uh crass or profane. There is a lot of sex and sexuality in it, but it was never like titillating. It was never Ooh, with this, you know, the male gaze, it, it was, there was actually done in a way so often it was comical that you just got used to it, which I think yeah. is the point. It just became like Emma Stone has said, like just wallpaper. Like well, she goes, by the end of the movie, I just want my body to be like wallpaper. Like it shouldn't matter. And I love that. I think that services it, the movie so well. And that's all credit to her. I think that's exactly what happened. I think that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. And there's a, there's almost like a musicality to it too. Um, which really kind of enforced, like, whenever those scenes were going on, it really wasn't about that. It was about um, what is this actually doing for her? Mm-hmm. It didn't exp- it didn't exploit anything, and yeah, and it it became a tonal piece. That yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, I, I of course again agree with all that. I think this is in contention with being her best work yet her best work to date i've heard people saying that they're not wrong when they say it and i'm not just saying that or tossing it out there as a take because the movie's so new but the first time she goes up to willem dafoe and asks to go out she says something like bella wishes to go out and you hear him off screen go out and she just her face gets so big and contorts and she goes yes out and just does (laughs) something like that and i started dying laughing and i did it both times and so yeah she was making me crack up and then by the end again no spoilers i i was tremendously moved by a few scenes and i was like wow they i I never would have thought you could stick this landing and my god did they ever and that's credit to everyone and i i think a big part of the sticking of this landing lands on willem dafoe his job in the movie is to is to kind of be the mr exposition Mm-hmm. Uh, let yeah. us know the truth about a lot of things and let us know what's really going on here. That could have turned the movie on so many complicated ways if he wasn't as good as he is. Yeah. Like, he just sort of says things. Yeah. You spin <laughs> that in a way where he has an opinion, and sometimes he does, but even those yeah. he states quite matter-of-factly. Oh, yeah. It yeah. allows <laughs> us to just accept it. And then take it how we want and then go with how the rest of the movie is going. It's a very, very, very cool performance to watch him do because he's not the one going for it in this movie, really. He's the one that's grounding it, actually. 
And um, his it, the, his makeup says different. <laughs> well, that's what's so interesting about it. Yeah. yeah, he needed four hours to get that makeup on every day, two hours to get off. But it is a grounded performance. Yeah. If, if his face just looked normal, you'd be like, oh, that's like a, okay, that's like a grounded performance. Yep. But he, because he's so difficult to look at and he knows that, he doesn't even want to go to like the market because he thinks, because he knows he scares the kids. But then he's just this sweet guy and he, you know, he's playing... He's playing Dr. Godwin Baxter, who, you know, you don't really realize for a little bit, but she keeps, Bella will keep talking about God, this person, yeah. God, and you think she's talking about, you know, the God Almighty, but that's her name for <laughs> Godwin. And I just love that. Every time she, she'll confuse people and it was uh, it's so great. And their relationship, it could go so many different ways. We all know the ways it could go. He's her creator, her caretaker, and it's just so sweet. It's it so genuinely tender and they really do love each other in a, just such a deeply platonic and meaningful way. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And yeah, his performance, you know, Willem Dafoe is just, He's one of those actors that we we just we all take him for granted because he's always great. He's never not great. So we, we do. always take him for granted. Just imagine the shitty Willem Dafoe performance to be like, huh? Like he's yeah, he's just always great. And this is another one that he's great in. And Mark Ruffalo is getting a lot of the supporting actor attention. But we're going to see if they double up here. We're going to see if it's yeah. both of them. And it very, very easily could be. It absolutely could. <laughs> easily. It, it's, there's always that movie. Where, I mean, I think we're going to get a lot of those, to be honest. Like, I think, you know, we, we're going to get a lot of these doubling up performances yeah, this it year. Because you've got, you've got the May-December situation, you know, with Natalie yeah. and Julianne. I think that's going to be a big double thing. Um, you got this with anyone, pretty much, you'd throw the name out there. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, same thing. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, Oppenheimer, for God's sake, there's you, you could have Downey and um, like you could throw Damon in there. You could like there's there's well, so what, much. Yeah. What would what would be crazy for Oppenheimer? They can't do it and they shouldn't. This would be ultimate category fraud. We're going to go on just a little tangent because it's, you know, Oppenheimer. Oh, if boy. Emily Blunt never was in the up. movie more, <laughs> if she was in the movie more, they could have run her as best actress. And then it would be one of the very rare films to be nominated in all four acting categories. Yeah, that would just be cool. But that that's not going to happen. They're going to run. I don't know. Maybe she, Blunt will be nominated in supporting. I don't think Florence Pugh will. I don't I don't know. Maybe we'll see. But I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting one to bring up that performance, because that's just something that got so, so much odd flack i haven't seen a response to consensual brief love scenes in a movie like she got for oppenheimer in ages like it's been <sighs> to the point where it was kind of getting uh, a little culturally concerning to me like they re-released that we made fun of it that i was going to go see it again in imax which i did and people were like very nervous in the theater when those scenes came on and some guys were laughing a lot of women looked away and i was like wow we're really so this really is a thing and I'm not making too big, you know, it, it's whatever, but I did text you, you know, kind of in jest, but I went, what happens if one of those people steps into poor things, Oh, <laughs> which just ha has tons and tons and tons of sex scenes. And at both of my screenings, there have been some people in there that did not know that's what this movie was going to be about. But, you know, every scene in the movie Every romantic scene is consensual. There are different, yeah, there's just so many of them. But like we're saying, they're never titillating. They're never sensual. So it's, it, you know, 
that I we're going to I don't know. That's just a whole different subject. But I, I really thought of Florence Pugh a lot in that performance and how it, it just made there were so many think pieces written about it and all this stuff. And I'm not seeing that reaction to poor things yet. Maybe that's just because it's what poor things is. It's just in the text of that movie. It's about a woman discovering her sexuality. And I guess Oppenheimer isn't about that stuff, but I don't know. A weird year in that regard to me. Very weird. Well, America is just weird about sex and it's getting weirder. It's just yeah. like, cause I, then you have scenes in May, December where they're going for it. And I haven't heard anyone be critical of those because you shouldn't be like the, it, it fits within the framework of the movie. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, you have to I, treat yes, it. Right. I mean, yeah, sexuality in film needs to be treated the correct way for its tonal piece. Yeah. And it needs to be handled correctly. But just because a movie has sex in it, it's like, like, what are we talking about here? It's been like, I don't know. I don't know if people know this, Alex, but sex has been going on for a long time. How long? Oh, man. Like forever? Yeah, I think so. Did did I, Adam and Eve do it or were they related? I mean, I well, I mean, I it, that's a tough one because uh, I okay. think they were. <laughs> Especially like I get we t- whatever we can get off this subject because I know it's weird for the two of us to talk about, it, but it's something I just think about it a lot. And maybe because we were so socialized with this stuff when we were growing up. And I was always critical when I became a teenager and in my 20s, I would often be very critical of sex scenes in movies because a lot of times when we were growing up, they would just have them in there. And it's like, all right, you don't need to have this. Like, well, I'm on a... um. This is kind of related to an upcoming episode we're doing, but I'm watching a lot of uh, spy thrillers, like 70s spy thrillers. And I watched the Parallax View with Warren Beatty, which is like just fucking remarkable. It's it's essentially like a remake of the JFK assassination. Great movie. That movie's an hour and 42 minutes. And then right away, I watched Three Days of the Condor with Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, directed by Sidney Pollack. That's two hours. There's a stupid fucking love scene between Redford and Dunaway in the middle of it that like doesn't need to be there and I'm like this is so stupid but that's just what most movies like that did yeah but with an absence of that in the parallax view I was like oh wow like I don't I didn't need this scene in three days of the condor so I'm no stranger to being critical of them too like oh you're kind of slowing the movie down but like it didn't slow the movie down in Oppenheimer. Three Days of the Condor goes on for like four or five minutes. You're like, all right, guys, like Jesus Christ, I get it. <laughs> and you know the music and the slow fades and uh, yeah, all that stuff. I don't know. I don't know. We, but obviously, we've changed a lot as a society in a lot of ways. But we've been very careful to talk about scenes of sexual assault on this podcast as it relates to Irreversible or Gaspar in a way, and talking about that towing a very fine line. But well, there needs to be a purpose. Yeah, I knew we were going to talk about sex in movies on this episode. I had it in the outline. So, we're, let's, yeah, we're doing it now. Yeah, there needs to be intention behind it. There needs to be purpose. Like, whenever I recommend shame to someone they and then they watch it, they're like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Like, <laughs> that movie had so much. And I go, I know, but that's like, that's the purpose of the movie. Like, movies about alcoholics have a lot of drinking, too. It's just, it's just, you know, I get it, though. It's not for everyone. Yeah, I do. Not, I get it. Yes. And yes, yes. we're. We're being funny and taking the piss out of things. Yes, sex sex has been going on for like at least a couple hundred years, I think. That's how long people have been having it. I mean, and, at least the last you know, 20. Just, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> the last 20, then Oppenheimer. That's why people got so upset over Oppenheimer. Oh, God. Yeah. But any, I mean, maybe this is something to clarify. If you have an issue with these scenes, 
that's all you. That's good. That's cool. I get it. I have certain issues with scenes in movies too. And I'm not like, you have a right to not want to see this shit in film, consensual, otherwise, whatever. That's all good. But we're just kind of like making the case for it that, especially in the case of poor things, they they handled it so well and it was so as a part of the fabric of the movie that I just I really didn't have a problem with it. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe people would say in Oppenheimer, it was not a part of the fabric of the movie and you could have easily just cut those out. I think especially the one in the hearing room where it's an imagination of Emily Blunt's character. I think people have a lot of issues with that one, but I didn't think it would be such a point of conversation this year. Those two scenes in Oppenheimer. Who knows? Anyway, anyway. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> Willem Dafoe does not have any love scenes in the movie. We can all be thankful for that now. Oh, man, I was wishing. Uh, I love him. <laughs> love Willem Dafoe. I don't, of course, a conversation about Willem Dafoe took us right into sex, but you know, that's it's, natural. it's all in the game, it's I natural. guess. It's natural. God, he is great. He is someone that we take for granted. That was the point. Body of evidence. Wow. Speed two cruise control. Come on. Oh, it's great with the leeches. The I love leeches. Movie, dude. <laughs> I love they suck the copper out of my blood. <laughs> wow, I cannot quote him at all. Good job. I wouldn't be able to do that for that movie. Um, all right, who's next? Rami Youssef. Yes. I've heard of. I've seen him win awards for his show Rami on Hulu. Have you seen Rami? I've never seen it. I've seen, actually, that Rami was a show that I started and fell off of, which I don't know why, because I'm a huge fan well, of it his. It just happens. Yeah, it just happens. Um, but I've followed uh, his uh, work as a comedian. Oh, see, I have not. I have not at all. This has missed me. Oh, you wow. need to watch. You you'd love him. There's a special. Does he, he have has, like specials? Yeah, oh. I believe. I don't. Uh, forgive me. I don't know the name of it. Um, but I do remember it being on HBO. It was from a few years ago. Feelings. It looks like it's called. It might be. Yeah. It's the it's the greatest outro. Uh, any comedians ever ended a set with, in my opinion, that I've seen. Oh shit! It was it. It's a it's a truly truly great end, and it's it. He's he's very very good. And if we're talking about him in this movie, yeah, yeah, I was a little nervous as to whether or not he was gonna be able to pull off something like this. And um, well, yeah, to my surprise, he was excellent. Excellent. He was great. This is like his first major movie role, apparently. He was great. Uh, very, very happy for him. I, I like his work. I like his style. You know, I, yeah, comedians that we like, it can be fun to watch them cross over into films, but a movie as risky as this, yeah, I bet you were nervous. I've been nervous watching some comedians that I really like doing that, but he was great. His character's name is Max McCandles, and I love how Bella just calls him Candles for yeah. <laughs> the first few bit visits, and you know, he comes in, he's a doctor along with Dr. God. And yeah, again, don't want to say too much, but he serves as a nice like heart of the film. And, you know, there's a lot of shithead men in the movie and he's not one of them. And I, I like that. And he he plays it so well, so well. I, I, I think he serves a very, very, very meaningful role in probably the way a lot of women look at certain men. Sure, sure. He, he's he's the nice guy. He he's he's the guy he's the guy you marry and take home to mom, not necessarily the guy you jet set around the country. Yes, with. exactly. Yeah. And 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 the way that they kind of just posed him, and the way that they handled him, and the way that she handles him, and then it's so good, and it's so good. And he is the heart. He he carries it mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. when it feels far away. He carries yeah. the heart. 
Because that jet setter, though. <laughs> Someone who um, definitely does not have all the best of intentions and plays a total shithead <laughs> is Mark Roffalo coming yes. in as Duncan Wedderburn, who, I mean, I don't... Uh, this guy comes in and uh, sweeps Bella off of her feet and they go set out on, you know, a world venture together, picking some uh, very random places, I thought. But this is... This guy is really going for it in this movie. I have loved him since he showed up playing Laura Lenny's stoner, aimless brother, and you can count on me, which is just a, a really a yeah. very quite simple but towering performance in its subtlety and simplicity. I just, God, I love him in that movie. And I've loved him ever since. And I love that he and Downey are likely going to be nominated in the same category this year. You know, they both did the Marvel thing together. Now they're back on their prestige film kick. I... I just love Ruffalo. He's an always great actor who is actively getting better. It's wild. This is right up there with some of his best work. Someone you could say that like he uh, he's going to give Downey a run for his money for this Oscar this year. This he's so good in this and completely and utterly outrageous. So big, but never loses you. And at the amount of times he made me crack up without saying a word or if a word was just ow. <laughs> just dying this is a great performance like truly he's an all-timer <laughs> for me i know i want to i want to talk about it let's go ruffalo has always been for me when i was younger he was a guy i looked up to i loved his outlook on acting i loved the choices he took i loved every time i could hear him in an interview talk about acting is mm -hmm. that was resonating with me so to be able to kind of watch someone that you look up to in that way and see their career just keep getting better and better and better. And yeah. it's like it's like teaching me. Like every time I watch a Mark Ruffalo performance, I, I'm I'm going to school. Yeah. And this is just no different. And I mean, just he's alive in every single scene. Like, like the camera doesn't stay on him very much. Like, like those mm -hmm. those shots you were talking about, where if you just catch his face, just watch what he's doing. <laughs> he's doing something, and it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Tiny little <laughs> subtextual looks. You don't know where he's going to go next. He's so unpredictable. It's unpredictable. And you just watch it and you just let it, the, the ride take you. And, uh, and it's also really cool to hear that story you talked about where it's like, here's an actor who is not just by what I've just said, in my opinion, but he's regarded in the industry as, you know, one of the top guys. And, um, mm -hmm. To even know that, like on the first day, it 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 didn't it didn't work. It failed, and to kind of realize that no matter how good you are, it's still the work, and yeah. and you gotta rise to it. And that's it's a very very good example of um. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it, how good you are at it. Every new project is like starting brand new. And you got to find your way. And then, you know, then he just soars. I love him. I loved him in it. We're saving a lot of the discussion about him for, you know, people to go actually go and see the movie. But there's one part when she like leaves a room and he just shakes his head like all yeah, yeah. <laughs> aggressively and he's mad. There's another part where he's angry and he just points at a bar. He's like walking to the bar and just fucking slams his head into the bar. Oh my God. And I was dying laughing. It's so quick and shocking. It sounds so painful. People screamed in the theater when it happened. Both times I've seen it, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is great. And yeah, his 
his whole transformation of Mr. You know, Casanova Suave to what he goes to is uh, just fantastic. Fantastic. And, uh, right, right to, you know, his uh, final few scenes where he's literally like hiding, just cowering behind. <laughs> I loved it. I loved him. So those are our, those are our stars. And I want to call out some of the supporting cast really quickly. I'm going to butcher this name. Hannah Shagula. She was, she plays Martha, who's that blonde woman on the boat. Yep. She was just full Loved of so her. much wisdom. I knew I recognized her from somewhere, but I couldn't place her. She was in this amazing German Turkish film from 2007 called The Edge of Heaven. It was nominated for the Cannes Palme d'Or. It is, she plays a grieving mother in it. I just, oh my God, I really want to, I never have a chance to ever talk about that movie. She's so good in it. She was really good in this. I love this. amazing her, like, in this. Poise. Yep. Yeah. Gerard Carmichael had a few good scenes. He he had like a really critical scene when he shows Bella a different side of the world that Bella has you know never seen because she's lived most of her life in one house. So that was really effective. And handing that off to him, you know, I did, talking about like comedians, can they step up? And he did a good job. I thought he played it really well. Catherine Hunter as the Paris Madam. I loved her. She was um and she was in Andor. I haven't watched that show, but she was also the witch. The Witches in Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth. Another one oh, where I was like, I yeah. know her. Where do I yeah. know her from? She got that voice. Like, oh, she was she was so good. She was so good. Vicky Pepperdine played Miss Prim. She was a maid in the house. That is Edna from our beloved Magic Mike's Last Dance. That's yes. the woman on the board that they have to persuade. Love that. And then we have two uh, just kind of heavy hitters who come in toward the end. Margaret Qualley as Felicity, who was uh, just great. Always great to see her. And then do I say it? Do I say the last well, one? Yeah, we can. But I, I just got to make a shout out to Margaret Qualley. Please do. Please do. <laughs> because please. That was a that was a ballsy role for her to take. She, oh yeah, she like barely does anything. She, but but she, it's it, like it's, let me get on set for yes, a Yorgos movie and yes. watch these people play. Let me yes, do that. I have exactly so much respect it, for that. I She's do too. A huge star right now. Yep. I have so much respect for that. Yeah. I love that she showed up in the role that she did and just you know and did what she did with it and then and that was it. I I have a lot of respect for her. And then come on. We got his. He's on the poster. We can say it. He is. He's on the poster. I looked at it after my second viewing by name and his little picture there. But just toward the end, I mean, the camera, like you hear this voice yell off screen and like the most contrived setting imaginable. It's the movie setting. I don't even want to say what it is, but we've seen it so many times in movies, this exact scene. And then they handle it differently. And the camera just pans over and there's Christopher Abbott, yes. our beloved Christopher Abbott, who we talk about all the time on the podcast. I had no idea he was in this movie and I gasped because we love him so much. And I went, oh, and then just to see the character he plays, I mean, no spoilers, but a fucking shithead monster. And I'm like, oh my God, he's doing it. He's doing it. And again, like the, not, not a, no role in the movie is thankless, but it, it's a small part, but there are no small parts. He That's absolutely right. seizes it. And now, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's in Yorgos's like next movie or the movie after that. Yorgos is only 50 years old. I, I really hope he's going to be making films for a very, very long time. Everyone in this movie, I mean, Willem Dafoe is 68, but that dude cranks out. That dude has had like one good movie or one good performance since like 1986. Every yeah, year. Like every year. every year. He just gives – or 85 because that's uh, To Live and Die in L.A. He just always gives a great performance like at least one a year. And then everyone else in the movie is like young. Emma Stone – Still has her whole career ahead of her, Abbott. So, yeah, why not just do a few scenes in this movie and then you're paying off doing something bigger down the line? I love seeing him in this. I, I had no, no, no idea 
that he was going to be in it and just loved him. Has one of my favorite facial moments I've ever seen in this movie. <laughs> one of the best just all time stare at the spaces, <laughs> spacing out. Oh my God. So fucking Dying good. laughing. I was laughing way more, way harder the second time knowing what was coming and just, I mean, like in hysterics and oh God. It, it really, yeah, it takes you all the way through it because he scared me. He genuinely scared oh, yeah, me a few yeah. times. And I went, oh, so now we're getting like, I, this is unpredictable. I do not know where we're going from every like 10 minute chunk to the next. I don't know where this movie is going. But, and then, yeah, you're just in such good hands. Such, such good hands. So, yep. Let's talk about your ghost really quick. We'll keep this quick because I don't know. Obviously, we're fans. And I want to talk about all of his films very, very briefly. His first one is pretty hard to find. It's a little easier now. It's called Kaneda. And it is. I'm probably mispronouncing that. It was released in 2005. And it's about a few friends in like an abandoned motel, resort motel, who I believe they just reenact like crimes or just kind of staging crimes. It's very, very sparse. Some of his early movies are extremely sparse. 2009 is his real big breakthrough. He makes a movie called Dogtooth. I don't, you can say 2009, it was nominated for Best Foreign Film in 2011. So I don't know these fucking years, these dates. Oh, it's crazy. This is my favorite Yorgos film. It has always been that way. And if you started with Dogtooth like I did, nothing in his subsequent films shocks you because that movie is so shocking and set me up for his sentiment and his taste so well i cannot recommend that highly enough the majority of the movie takes place in one house the movie is in greek it is so it, the imagination that it takes yeah. just all conversations it's not sci-fi have you seen it i've seen it yeah i didn't know that oh, oh yeah fuck I, yeah i'm talking about it like you haven't seen it oh god i didn't know that like okay dude so like jesus christ where that goes from the first scene like you're watching it and you're like Wait a minute, something's really off here, but it's just words. You may think you're watching like a sci-fi film, but you're you're not. And just the rev- <laughs> the revelations that come out with it. And I, j- I just bought that on Blu-ray and gave oh, it to my dad shit. for his birthday. <laughs> and he oh, watched it with God. his friend. My dad loves Yorgos. He watched it with his friend and called me. And I knew when he called because I was like, call me and let me know after. And when I picked up, he was just laughing. And he was like, oh, my God. And I went, I know. I it's know. crazy. It's like, I need- Jesus, it's crazy. I did not know you'd seen it. Oh, my God. I had seen it actually a long time ago because uh, it was when The Lobster was coming out. And you were yeah. like, you got to check this out. I was like, that was when like we first met. So you were like, just yeah. like filling me with like all these movies to watch. And that I think that's one that's probably just got lost in the shuffle. And I probably need to rewatch it again because I did like it, though. But I don't think I was paying yeah. attention to it the way I needed to. Yeah, it's so good. It was nominated for the Oscar. I can't, I, yeah, I just, I love that one. And rewatching it, I went, yeah, this still is my favorite with, and I do not say that as a slight to his other work at all, at all. Now, next, a lot of people think he jumped from Dogtooth because that was like his breakthrough to The Lobster, but there's actually this small one called The Alps in the middle. It came out in 2011. This is a really weird movie to describe. So I was lazy and copy pasted <laughs> a log line from Wikipedia. There's the people in the movie. It's about, you know, just a handful of people like a group. They're known as Alps. And these are members who offer for a fee to act as the recently deceased during visits to grieving relatives. So, like, if someone had a son recently die, like in a tragic accident, a mom did, I could go and, like, spend time with the mom and kind of, like, behave like the son. Oh, man. Yeah. But the issue is that what I just said 
is not clear in the movie. And like the first time I saw this, I had no fucking clue what was going on because it's this is his most sparse film. Sparsest, most sparse. I don't know. I didn't major in math. <laughs> so it's really hard to kind of track like in real time. And, beca- and because it is sparse, I went back and revisited it um, before the favorite it just it loses me on viewings and i can't i can't stay engaged and i i think that's kind of the consensus for it a lot of people don't have you know and that's okay that's okay i always want to go back and revisit it and be like did i miss something is there something i can latch on to but then four years later is the lobster which is his huge kind of breakout it's his first movie in english colin farrell colin farrell (laughs) rachel wise like i uh, yeah what colin farrell does in this i mean you i always like to say you and dan got to see your ghost and farrell i think at a q a for this movie after it happened that just must have been great but i love the lobster i love this movie it was it was one of the coolest things to hear them talk about that rehearsal process and how your ghost basically gave him no direction so that (laughs) that that whole entire speech rhythm that they formed was all because that just sort of happened amongst the actors and right. the actors like were like, staccato. Yeah. And they're like, should <laughs> we just move ahead with this? And Yorgos wouldn't say no. So they're like, he doesn't tell us not to. <laughs> so. It's so, yeah, that's, and that's what I've only seen twice. I, I own Dogtooth, lobster and the next two, which I, for some reason I like, don't want to, why don't I want to spoil the names? God, I'm so stupid. <laughs> um, so I've only seen it twice, but yeah, there are scenes of it that are quite unsettling, but it has a tone that you can't really play, you know, put your finger on. You can. And then we it's... get to the killing of a sacred deer, which is like kind of like a horror movie. Like it's shot like one. It's kind of the sound design and the music is like one. And this is just, I mean, I've seen this movie so many times. It's... I love this love movie. It. it I guess you can call it a comedy. I do think it's hilarious. It is so darkly. All these movies are so darkly yes. comedic. And this thing, I mean, you're either laughing when he's spinning around in that chair at the end or you're not. And I guess there's no right or wrong way to go about it. But, you know, and of course, this movie on, on a major scale introduced us all to Barry Keoghan, who's, <sighs> uh, I mean, kind of steals the movie. He does. For someone does. we had never heard of, he just steals it. Yeah, I love this movie. The favorite was the next year. It was crazy. We got back to back Yorgos movies. And the favorite is another one that I, what's crazy is that broke through and got him nominated. It was nominated for so many Oscars. And it's like, wow, he did it. Like he's using these crazy fisheye lenses. It's a period piece. It wasn't really poised to win any. And then, and one of the great Oscar shocks the last 10 years, Olivia Coleman, best actress over Glenn Close, who didn't. That movie, The Wife, is just not a good movie, and she's not uh, – by virtue of that, she can't be that good in it because it's – that movie – I just really thought that movie was bad, and it would have been a shame to give her you – know, Glenn Close deserves a Best Actress Award. I mean, of course. Let's all be clear, but not for that. So they give it to Coleman, and Coleman's great. It's one of the all-time great speeches. I, I love her I speech. love her in that. I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, And I then love it Emma too. Stone's being the vindictive thing. Oh, God, I love it. And then now we have poor things, which which we've just spent time talking about. So, do you have a ranking for these at all? I I did, I did, and it, it it's it's a it's a crazy ranking. Well, uh, for the ones I've seen, oh. for the ones I've seen, yeah, 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 just for the ones you've seen. Well, I'll I'll make it easy for you. I'll put at there's seven total. I will put seven is Canada and six is the Alps. So that should make it easy. Now we can just do these five that we've both. All right, seen so our top five, our top five, top Yorgos. five Yorgos, yes, okay. top five. <laughs> okay. Number number five for me, I, I can't believe this is number five, but it's The Lobster. Oh, wow. Wow. That surprises yeah, yeah. me. 
Oh, it's crazy. Okay. It's crazy. I thought that would have been yep. like uh, one or two for you, honestly. I know. Number five for me, and I would give this movie an A, so we're really, this is, this, this is what we're very, talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's very delicate stuff. Number five for me is the favorite. Ah, yeah, see, I interesting. Number four for me is Dogtooth. Oh, wow. Okay, yep. so these are going to be kind of- It's very out. different. It is. Number four for me is The Lobster. Okay, okay. All right, so we just have a little, 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 like, little, little switch in The Lobster. Number three for me is the favorite. Okay, okay. I see what we're doing. I see what we're doing. Wow. So you're, yeah, you're ranking heavy, or you're the newest one is ranking high for you, which I yep. love. Number three for me is Poor Things. Oh, okay. You got three at Poor Things. Yeah. Th- okay. All right. Two. All right. <laughs> number two is the killing of a sacred deer. <laughs> Same here. Boom. We're locked. We're locked for number two. Holy shit. Yeah. So you fucking loved Poor Things. Dude. That's your favorite Yorgos movie. It, if you think about it. I love it. it. I love it. This I love is it. exactly not, no. my type of movie. It's a it journey movie. That's why movie. I was so excited for you to see yep. it. Yeah. This yeah. has my structure of how I like to watch a movie. It did everything that I want a movie to do, and it took me in all the places I had no idea, but I enjoyed every second of it. I know there's a recency bias here, so I will admit that, but if we are just going by like the moment right now, I, I this movie checked all my boxes. And then, of course, my number one is Dogtooth, which I spoiled earlier this is making me excited for your top 10 of 2023 honestly Mm -hmm. because this i mean if it's your favorite yorgos that's great so that's wow that's perfect okay yeah i loved it real quick to finish up on poor things written by tony mcnamara who also wrote the favorite the movie's based on a novel by alistair gray who passed away so i i guess that's what uh yorgos read and that got this whole ball rolling the music is by jerskin frandrick's First movie score. I loved the movie score. Loved yeah. the closing song and what played over the credits. He's probably going to get nominated for an Oscar for this. And this, as a first Crazy. movie score, that's like great. Yeah. Cinematography by Robbie Ryan, who shot our beloved Red Road, Fish Tank, American Honey, nominated for an Oscar for shooting the favorite, also shot Marriage Story. Production design by Shona Heath. This is her first feature. That's why I wanted to call that out. And James Price, who did the nest and yes. the iron claw which is in Oof. theaters now yes it is very excited I'm, I'm calling out people who are probably going to be nominated for oscars you know holly waddington did the costumes editing by yorgos oh boy Mavar- oh to yorgos Ma- marvro pasadiris i'm sorry yorgos m is the editor who has edited every single yorgos lanthimos film he was nominated for an oscar for the favorite but i love that Oscar chances for poor things. I don't have a list, but it's going to be nominated for a lot. Does it win anything? I I don't know. Does all the technical awards, does Oppenheimer or the other stuff knock it out? Does it win production design over Barbie? I don't think so. Does it win costumes over Barbie? I don't think so. So is it a case where... So hard. Yeah, is it a case where they're nominating it? Like the favorite got like nine or ten nominations. And it like I said, it was not poised to win any. It thankfully pulled out actress. It was a huge surprise. Could it be the same thing for poor things? I don't think Emma Stone's going to win actress, but you know, I I could see this getting nominated for a bunch and not necessarily winning any, but maybe I would also love a year where we're just spreading the wealth. I don't need Oppenheimer to win 10. I would love to be nominated for 10. I don't. I really don't. Don't lie. (laughs) 
<laughs> Dude, if Oppenheimer won fucking picture, director, actor, and then some technical ones, cool. Like sound needs to win. Just everything, you know. <laughs> give it five or six, I'm fine. And then sprinkle like give production design to, you know, I don't I don't want it to just be like Oppenheimer and Barbie winning everything. I really I don't. I don't. They could even give director to Marty and I'd be fine with that. I'd be totally fine to give Marty another best director. Totally fine. Or Nolan gets director and Killers of the Flower Moon gets picture. I'm actually okay with that too. Do you hear me, Academy? Do you hear what I'm telling you? Do you hear there's no bullshit movies coming out of my mouth right now? Don't do this to me. I've had good movies this year. I'll be straight up. I'll be straight fucking up right now. I hope now. you would. Straight, straight up. If best director goes to Nolan or Martin Scorsese, I am fine with Barbie winning best picture. And I'm not joking. Totally fine with it. Totally fine with Barbie representing 2023 in film. If if we are to look at the Oscar best picture winner, which is not the best representation, but I'm okay with that. But best director needs to be taken care of. That's that's fine. It, then then you have permission to give it to Barbie. So you see what I'm saying? We're spreading the wealth here. I don't think Barbie's going to win best picture. I don't I don't think so either but i'm saying if people think i'd be mad at that i wouldn't but you gotta like you gotta spread the wealth you gotta take care of stuff and do it do it well there's a way where all these good movies walk away with big awards killers of the flower moon gets actress actor goes to maybe oppenheimer or maybe maybe they do the giamatti and they go holdovers which is being very well liked so maybe they do that for actor that's starting to seem more probable so then you know that's getting award barbie gets a big one oppenheimer gets a big one you could give poor things in there. I'm very passionate about this year. I really am because I these are tell. good movies. We're talking about all right. These are good movies. These aren't bullshit movies. If they if they go, they do left turns and start awarding bullshit performances and movies. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to speak on it because this is <laughs> this is my truth. This is my truth. It's, if everyone's being true to who they are, this is my truth, and I this I I can't sit by anymore. As we've been doing this podcast, they've nominated some bullshit and awarded some bullshit because they've been tough movie years. No one's going to disagree that 2020 was a terrible movie year, just by virtue that like no movies were released. It's just, it's okay. Tenet did come out. Tenet fucked. <laughs> rocked. Um, anyway. Yeah. Oscar. It's not even really a rant. It's a warning. It's a warning. A thinly veiled threat to just don't, don't fuck this up. There's a way to do this all really, really well to where everyone is happy. Every group is happy past lives i see you i see what you're doing you're repped by a24 you're making me nervous past lives <laughs> you're, you're deserves making me nervous. you're making me real nervous real nervous past lives is a perfect movie to win original screenplay and it just walks away with that into the night it just walks away and you have it and then everything else needs to be taken care of all the movie all right we're gonna move on here yeah. move on to this mailbag <laughs> mailbag questions <laughs> mailbag maestro and then we're going home okay mailbag we did we had some fun ones that we've just gotten we that we've gotten over the some months this one uh, i'm not doing this to be cute but i've asked i'm asked this question all the time mailbag question for this episode how did you two meet yes <laughs> i've asked this all the time i think we've explained it here and there but just yeah i'm this is one of my favorite questions because it's always followed up with how did you two meet dot 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 because it feels like you two have known each other forever. Yeah. And that's like the best compliment. But we met. It's a great story. We met it is on, good the, story. Fi- on the film festival circuit in 2015. I made a feature film. Wait. And then what? Oh, you're going to interject. Well, no, because there's yeah. a better way to tell this story. 
is there's oh, a Christ the, for the reason that I'm not in that feature. <laughs> well, yeah, this is true. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so this so, I I didn't know this at all at the time, but yeah, I'm I moved to LA and immediately start am in pre production for my feature film. Wait, you know I had to hire a bunch of actors, and a lot of the actors came from one specific acting school, like a literal acting school. Yeah, I basically used like two acting schools to fill out the cast. There is. There was you guys, and then there was another one in North Hollywood that I plucked from as well, which was great. So basically, like, all of your friends are in this Everyone. movie. Your name is never once, <laughs> never once floated to me. Never. I mean, you can talk about that. I, I did not know who you were. No one ever floated you to me. And we would have gotten along, and I would have given – I know exactly which part I would have given in the movie. I know exactly which one. We would have gotten on, obviously, like gangbusters. Why this connection – why none of your friends who I was actively working with for like uh, uh, on and off uh, very intensely for three months and then on and off we were in each other's lives for like a year, year and a half just as I took it through post-production. We did reshoots and yeah, your your name is never mentioned to me and the first night I meet you is the first time Wait premieres at a festival and that's the night that I meet you and I'm like, and, who's this? And and so yeah, tell us from your well, perspective. <laughs> so my perspective of this is that I was in this acting class and we were like thick as thieves, <laughs> like all of us yeah. in that class, like the best acting work I've ever done was in the confines of this wall, these four walls of this classroom. And I did that work with these actors. So I love them to death. I have a very special place in my heart for that time period. But one night we're in class and the teacher's like, all right, um, so-and-so go up now. And then uh, everyone, literally everyone in the class says, the teacher's name was Fran, Fran Montano. Excellent, 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 huge mentor for me. Everyone goes, Fran, um, we actually, uh, we all have to go. We have, a, we have a night shoot for something that we're doing. <laughs> and he goes, oh, okay, great, great. Well, anyone who needs to go for that. And then everyone gets up. <laughs> and I go, you're all in it? And, and, and they're like, yeah. And I go, what? what uh, did no one want to say anything to me? And like, and I don't want to toot my own French horn here, but I was one of the better actors in the class. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. And so I'm like, how does none of this even come my way whatsoever? And everyone's like, yeah, that's weird. All right, bye. So <laughs> fast forward, and I'm definitely pissed. I'm like, I'm like, fuck this. This is this is awful. I would be too. I, I, yeah. So fast forward, like, I don't know. It must have been six months to a year after, or I don't know how long it took you to edit and then get on the festival circuit from when it, you were it shooting. A, it was a little over a year because we filmed yeah. um, we filmed holiday season 2013 and you and I met January 2015. Yeah, exactly. That's how long this shit takes. <laughs> so, so now your movie's in festivals and uh, everyone from class is like, come support Nick. And I go, oh yeah, sure. I'll be there. That movie that you all guys did without me that no one told me about, sure, I'll come support. So I was I was pissed. Like I showed up there and I was yeah. doing my best just to be like, this is fucking bullshit, man. But then I watched it and then was just completely floored by it. And then my favorite is uh, you were doing a Q&A, a bullshit Q&A with all the other directors that were a part of the thing. And you were dressed all in black because that was your thing, still is your thing. And someone someone asks you a question um, about the writing process, mm -hmm. and you answered, and you're like something like it had to do with like equating the the hell of writing to drinking, 
And I go, I like this guy. I like this guy. And then, yeah. And then we met at the after party. And you said a very similar thing where I, because I was, I was about to get ready to do There I Go. Right. And I I wanted, I, I, I saw your work as a director and I was like, oh, I would love to talk with this guy. Just any kind of advice he might have. So I asked you that, but you were in mid party, like you were the star of the night. So everyone was talking to you. I got like a couple seconds, got in there, introduced myself, said like, hey, would you mind doing this? And you were like, I said, can we meet for coffee? Yeah. And and you're like, rather meet for a drink. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember it very well. But yeah, I remember being introduced and then it being and then me figuring out like a few weeks or months later that you were a part of that whole group. And I remember asking over and over all of them, like what no one ever thought to like introduce us or, or all the outings. I went and saw their, you know, productions they put on. And so, I, you know, what, whatever, that's how, that's how that went. But yes, yeah, so that, that night, a few months later, we did meet up for some drinks and you asked me a lot about just the process of like actually making a movie and then you asked me to come on to shoot your short, There I yep. Go. And then, yeah, we formed a very strong creative relationship shooting that. And then you asked me to edit the movie. And then, like, just being in my tiny apartment right there in Hollywood, we yep. and editing this thing together. Yeah, that's what made us become really close. And then that was just it. And then the crazy thing is, I, from when we met, I left L.A. like a year and a half later. That's yeah. when I, like, le- met – or that's when I left – and then, yeah, we've just stayed, you know, just stayed very, very close. Yeah, it was instant. Like pretty much like once we first really hung out like that, you couldn't really kind of like separate us. Yeah, yeah. And everyone, yeah. everyone around us knew it. And then the podcast, I will say, was it just it was your idea. Of course, I knew of podcasts and stuff, but my blog had kind of fallen by the wayside in terms of writing and me not being able to make enough time for it and all all that stuff. And you're you're like, what if we do this? And we talked about it. You first brought this up to me in 2018. I remember yeah. I just gotten out of um, fuck, unfriended dark web part two of the unfriended <laughs> series, and you were like, you see everything, and yeah, I go, I yeah. know, I know. You're like, have you ever thought about having a podcast to talk about it? I'm like, oh, so then I thought about it for two years and everything, how I wanted to do it, things I wanted to avoid, I. Just all that stuff. And it it was great. It, and then so and now we've been doing this since, I mean, three years now. Three years, baby. This is episode 115. It's crazy. And the letter that we got that we talked about, you know, earlier it absolutely makes this all worth it. So it's been a fun journey to go on, you know, together. We didn't. Uh, another question. This isn't like a mailback question, but I am asked sometimes how we come up with our episode ideas and topics and there's some things like he got game that I just want to talk about. I've always wanted to talk about that. And I just, you know, Thelma and Louise, like really want to do that. Malcolm X and then new releases of the year that really pop out to us. And we're like, all right, we got to do that. Like we got to, you know, we, we got to do Oppenheimer. We knew we were going to do that. We agree on directors to cover a few months in advance and then start chipping away at them. But yeah, it's really just kind of like, I don't know, going with the flow and Part of it is like keeping films in conversation. Like I want people to be talking about He Got Game or I want people to be like, God damn it, this movie is not available anywhere. Like, fine, I'll rent it for $3.99 and have that be worth it and know that we did not let them down. Like that's, yeah, so so it's that. But then also I just want to like 
talk about the killer, but I don't know how many people are actually going to watch the killer. <laughs> Thank God. A lot of people watch the killer and everyone liked it. I, I wonder, I don't know. I wonder if that, I wonder if the killer will get nominated for an Oscar. Like, can you, can we give it sound? Can we give it a sound nomination? That's it. That's Could it. Get, yeah. Awesome. Sound. That'd be cool. I don't think so though. So that's it. Yeah. That's how we met. And it's, yeah, we've stayed fast friends ever since. Yeah. Now we live on, you know, ever since we've had this podcast, we live on opposite sides of the country and we make it work. Yeah. The uh, the the whole entire idea for me uh, for the pod was I would read your blog and I'd be like, man, your writing is so well done and like your opinions are so good. And the specificity that you could get into on the blog was just so, so um, bountiful that I was like, you know, but the one thing that people aren't getting that I feel like the readers aren't getting is, is you, like your emotion, like the way the that you and I would talk. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, see, that's what I want to get as like, I want to like, cause you are, and I've always said this, I will, I've said this to people who don't know you, that you are the most knowledgeable person about film that I've ever met. And I challenge anyone. And I was like, <laughs> well, and, very like nice. and I was like, there's gotta be a platform that will be able for you to kind of shine in this way. And I was like, and I'll just be the the other guy to do it. I still feel like that, but, um, but that, that was the idea that I had for it. Yeah. And then two years later, like, all right, I think we should do it. And I was like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And it was always the thing where I'm the, the movie obsessed, like freak that this art form runs my life, all this stuff. And you are someone who loves movies, but I don't think they guide like pretty much, you know, damn near every facet of your life. Like they do for me because it, that's not the way it is for most people. Most people just watch movies and enjoy them. They're not like fucking crazy about him like i am so that's the <laughs> the kind of counterpoint for it like if we were both as crazy as i was we'd probably be talking about i don't know some fucking danish movie from like 1943 for you know three hours i mean which we I still mean, could do which we still could do i mean it, yeah. i mean i remember when our pop was we're never gonna go over an hour now we've got four that hours was a rule. that was the first rule for me everything was going to be like 45 minutes or an hour and then when we yeah we weren't going to curse we weren't going to do anything it's it's really fun sometimes i will occasionally go back and listen to like one of our first 10 and we're, we're just so like Oof. timid and kind of yeah. shy and quiet hey people still like it people tell me it's cute that we sound <laughs> cute, so that's uh, i can live with that all right that was great let's get on to the question we got in our email which yes. was i just love this what are that's some of our question. favorite dvds that we've owned you want to go first you want to take it first or i could go yeah um yeah, go so so i have like a list of movies here that um for whatever um some of them were educational some of them were just the special features were so good that like, yeah, I, I look at it as like, you have to have this with the movie. Um, but I'll start with this one's my favorite one. But now the cool thing is, is that now today, because of YouTube, you could actually find and this one in particular, you can find on YouTube. So you actually don't need to buy the DVD, but the DVD, the original double disc DVD of Magnolia. Oh, great call. Yeah. Has got a, on the second disc, it's got deleted scenes and it's got a giant, long, weird, I can't even call it a documentary. It's a diary. It's, I cannot believe they let him put that on a DVD. It, it's and then crazy. we all have that now. It is nuts. I'm fairly certain it's, he's like, fucked up uh, it, in some of it like yeah about just uh, yeah it's wild this is a great call this is a great call it's just a great kind of idea to kind of sit through 
what actually it is like being on a film set. They, there's no music. There's no quick editing to make this look. It's no, it's the uh, in-between moments of when actors are like, I'm putting my earpiece in. Can I hear from here? Like, mm-hmm. all right, what do you how, like? Are we how, how is the camera going to be on me here for this? And like, just like the and then like it goes into like the post-production stuff. And um, the, the pre-production, he's talking to the crew. These are the movies I guys want you to watch and think about as we get into this. Like, it's a low-key great diary of the making of an entire movie. And I love it for that. Yeah. It's over an hour long. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's long. It's really great. That's a great call. His first, um, he does a commentary for Hard Eight, and then he does a commentary for Boogie Nights. I mean, again, I, he sounds like he's had a few drinks on the Boogie Nights commentary. It's an all-timer. And then he didn't do a commentary. He hasn't done a commentary since, which is a bummer. But yeah, those 90s DVDs, like the Boogie Nights one has, it has some good deleted scenes and stuff, but it does not have a making of diary like Magnolia. Yeah, yeah that thing. He's never done that. That's a great call. Yeah. It's really no, good. He's, yeah, certainly hasn't done it again. Yeah, that's great. I mean, what, what are some others that you had? So uh, I have a uh, box set of the DVDs. These are not Blu-ray and he has since come out with them. It's a Stanley Kubrick director series from Warner brothers. Oh yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it doesn't have all of them. It just has a selected few, but all of those DVDs have the best special features in terms of anything you want to know about the making of like they, on the, on the a clockwork orange one, they even have a whole entire separate, I think it's BBC but a BBC documentary about uh, the violence that was going on in the UK during that time, yeah. which is why A Clockwork Orange couldn't be released. So the, the documentary has nothing to even do with the movie. There's there's threads in there, but they just give you this whole entire like documentary on the violence of the UK in the in the 60s and 70s. And it's like, this is wild. And then you get into all like the like the like the in-depth making of. So I think those were some of the most impactful ones in terms of like education, like how yeah. to learn about making a movie. And then the other one that I have in this section is um actually two more. Uh Zodiac. The uh, yeah. the special yeah. edition Zodiac DVD. Mm-hmm. We talked about that on our Zodiac episode, but yeah, um, and the Fincher episode we did, yeah, yep, because it's that, so good. That's an all timer one in terms of how that movie was made. All the Fincher, all the, like pretty much after Social Network, because Gone Girl is just a commentary, but everything pre Gone Girl, those are all magnificent discs. Like there's something worthy on all of them but yeah i learned from all those tarantino when he released like reservoir dogs pulp fiction and jackie brown yep. those two disc dvds that taught me so much i remember fight club is one i had written down because that was a popular like dvd but it also had a lot of how to actually make a movie stuff on it and i learned so much from that i learned a lot from like the criterion for traffic which has like four yep. commentaries on it and just a bunch of different stuff so when you're looking for DVD stone in terms of special features, that's what it is. And this is a lost art and criterion. They'll still sometimes just release brand new movies with bare bones discs, which is a bummer. But for the most part, a lot of their releases are very carefully thought out and really have features on there that are going to teach you a lot. Like uh, love streams for Cassavetes is just like uh, truly astounding. And that's not part of that Cassavetes box set that you can buy, but Oh my God, I, I spent like a day just with the special features, which included watching it with a commentary on. But then there's this 
like an hour long making of documentary with yeah. Cassavetes there the whole time. And it's really, really something. And that watching all of that really helped me love that movie even more. And that's still my second favorite Cassavetes after A Woman Under the Influence. But yeah, stuff like that, like Criterion. And then if you go deeper, there are other companies like Arrow does a very good job at this now. They give, they're doing the same kind of thing that Criterion's doing. So yeah, there are other places to buy from, but it, it's tough in general because they're just aren't, it's a lost art, the special feature. It's a lost art. Yeah, the Criterion ones, like you, you really can't go wrong. Um, I, I wrote in there for that one, the John Cassavetes five films box set because oh. so much of the information I learned about Cassavetes came from individual features from those yeah. movies. Um, the Decalogue, uh, the yes. Kirsov Koslowski. Yes. That's that's great because you you actually have the the really good in depth making ofs, but then they give you like the full length features off of yeah. the short ones that were made mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have one favorite DVD: the Metallica Some Kind of Monster documentary. Oh, cool! I've seen the documentary. I've never. Own the DVD, though. So the DVD has about the equivalent, maybe a little bit shorter than the actual movie of deleted scenes. Oh, wow. And the deleted scenes, I've done this many times where I've just put them on. You just hit play all and watch all the deleted scenes. It's like you're watching a different version of the same movie. Of the documentary. Yeah. 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 and And it's so fucking good. And it's got all sorts of other special features. It is, the, to me, in terms of what you get from the quantity, it's the best DVD I've ever I've ever owned. Oh, shit. Wow, that's great. It's you know, so good. Yeah, something that's giving you, like, more, way more content. That is, that's something that a lot of movies are doing now. Like, they just released Black Hat, which I talked about, which has three versions. Yeah. And so they're they're doing, like, the different versions thing a lot. That's kind of... A thing, which I'm always down for, you know, whatever. Blade Runner did it. Yeah, yeah, Blade yeah. Runner, Blade Runner. I mean, Jesus, God. Yeah. I, is he going to release, you know, Napoleon, the four-hour cut? I'm all here for it. All right, last uh, last question, real quick. I, I'm i curious to hear what you say about this. <laughs> Do you watch any movies or TV shows not related to the podcast? My, I get asked this one all the time and kind of like, this kind of is related to how do you decide what to talk about? But yeah, I'm just always watching stuff. I don't get around to TV that much because I've just found that the highest high of a TV show is still like a, a medium movie to me. It's just me, but I think TV shows are your uh, whole seasons come down to like episodes and there can be one really good episode. But, you know, I, I still do watch like I watch the bear. I watch there's some stuff that I watch, but um, yeah, like this year. Stuff that I didn't really mention on the podcast, I watched um, just because I couldn't fit it into a discussion anywhere. Every Billy Wilder movie, I'd seen a lot, but I watched his whole filmography. Leading up to the Malcolm X pod, I watched every single film Denzel Washington has ever been in. I don't know why. I just, I realized like I only had eight left or something. So I'm like, why not do that? I'll put on 1988's Mississippi Masala. Which did not get mentioned in the Malcolm X episode, but you know, I'm just really glad I saw that movie. It's a really good movie. Now I've seen every Denzel performance. I and then I'll do fun stuff like rewatching. Talked about all the Conjuring universe films in their timeline order, which is like ridiculous. You random you, stuff like that. The, the 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 funniest thing is is that the as many episodes as we do for the pod and all the movies that we have here. That is not even the tip of the iceberg of what you're watching. <laughs> it's really <laughs> in not. The invisible. I mean, 
if anyone really wanted to know, you can go to W-A-Y-W underscore podcast on Letterboxd, and I've logged every single movie I've watched in 2023, so you can really see. And what's kind of cool about that is, like, I will... So we're we're going to do an episode soon, like I, I teased about watching all the paranoid thrillers. I don't even know if those will get mentioned in the episode, but that's just kind of my homework. Like, it's my yeah. research. Before the Oppenheimer um, update episode, I watched I uh, just like every documentary about Oppenheimer, the Manhattan Project, the atomic bombings. I watched a shitload of documentaries on Vietnam and JFK this year, so I'll go down those roads. Watch a lot of Don Siegel, a lot of Peter Weir, Kurosawa, I mentioned. Joe Dante watched almost every <laughs> William Friedkin after he passed. So yeah, like that's just, that's just this year. Yeah. I'm always, always watching stuff because it's fun. <laughs> now ask me. <laughs> Go. I want to hear. Have you, do you watch anything ever? Sometimes you do. You text me stuff sometimes. Very rarely. Uh, it, it's very hard. Like I, um, because of the full-time job that I have and the commute that I have. And then after those activities, like I play music in a band, I go to acting class, I uh, you try to keep up socially as much as you can. There's just not a lot of time that I have. So pretty much the only stuff that I watch is stuff for the pod. Um, any free time that that's there, it is movies for our next episode, for our next uh, or our upcoming episodes that we're doing like a really big director deep dive on. So I'll meticulously plan out like when I'm researching and doing that work. Um, but when that's not happening and we have some free time pro wrestling, that, that, that's, that's what I'm watching. That's what it is. Cause there's so much, there's too much. If you want to keep up in the current state of televised professional wrestling, it's too much. So I do my best. I do my best to keep up, but I also have an endless loop of a few shows, um, Arrested Development is my favorite show of all time. I will always have those first three seasons. Just where was that? Just put that on. New Girl. I'm a huge New Girl fan. These are comfort shows. Sure. I just sure. rewatched uh, Californication for the umpteenth time. <laughs> what do I watch that's new? I watched The Bear. I did see The Bear? Yes. Like Very that. Good. I just watched the Arnold documentary. That was great. That was cool. I watched it too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's that. That's pretty much. That's pretty much my watching. Yeah. Like. Like you said, you have other um, interests in life, and this is this is it. This is it for me. <laughs> I'm very concentrated. No, I, I wouldn't have I you have any other way. I'm married. <laughs> I, have, I have relationships. Okay, we've arrived at what are you watching? Ready? Y'all ready for this? We're doing things a little differently today, folks. Now, for the rest of this episode, we are going to spoil Bradley Cooper's Maestro, which is now on Netflix, in full. If you want to watch this movie, please turn this off because we are going to spoil it. We're not talking about anything else in this episode. That's it. We're just going to be talking about Maestro. Spoilers ahead. Spoilers abound. We have both now seen this movie. You, on our episode of new 2023 movie releases, you had kind of snuck out and surprised me by seeing this movie. And you gave a review of it. And I, and you, I was excited. Like You did a good job. And you, you did. You sold the movie very well. And then when we stopped recording, you elaborated a little bit, and your elaborations were a little bit more negative than what you were saying on mic, and you were painting a slightly better picture of the movie for me 
if you want, I'd like you to go first and maybe expand on your review that you gave on that because you even told me there were some things you wanted to say but couldn't. Or I can go first. It's up to you. Yeah, you you go first. You go first. Okay. This movie does not work. It, it just doesn't. <laughs> this movie doesn't work. I'm sorry. There are aspects of the movie that are truly and utterly breathtaking that genuinely took my breath away. You're hearing Bradley Cooper talking about this a lot in the press about how he his big his big quote in the press right now is I spent six years learning how to conduct for six minutes. And he actually did that. You actually see him get to recreate Gustav Mahler's Resurrection Symphony at the same cathedral that Leonard Bernstein conducted it in, in England in 1973. You can see that whole thing on YouTube, and I've done that. And that sequence, it's toward the end of the movie, you're actually watching Bradley Cooper rehearse, or rather, conduct this orchestra. And it is fucking astounding. It is one of the scenes of 2023. It was so breathtaking that I went, wow, this, I wish this was wrapped up in a slightly better movie. Because this movie also has breathtaking performances. Yeah. This movie is shot incredibly well. This yeah. movie has a very competent and confident assembly. I don't think it's a perfect assembly, but it is very confidently made. Yet, still, for both of us, the movie fully did not work. Now, I don't want to speak for you, but we're not giving this movie a D or an F. No, I, I'm giving no. it like a mid, a mid C, a, a low B, mid C. And I really, really want everyone to watch this movie. I, again, I hope you've already seen it if you're listening to us, but I would highly recommend that everyone watch this movie because it has some thrilling stuff in it. And I, I did want to get, you know, to, to those positives because we've only seen it once, even though yeah. it's been on Netflix by the time people are listening to this. So we're going off first viewing alone and I was in the movie and it took me about an hour to realize what was going on because it was an hour in that any whiff of conflict was introduced to the movie. And the movie's two hours and 15 minutes. And I'm waiting. I'm like, when are we going to start having problems here? Because everything's on the up and up. You know, he's doing he's doing well in his professional career, exceptional in his professional career. He meets the woman of his dreams, Felicia, played by Carrie Mulligan, and they fall in love and they're starting a family. She tells him outright before they get engaged that she knows how he is in terms of his fluid sexuality and she doesn't mind and let's go. So an hour into the movie, the first whiff of conflict is that she catches him kissing a younger man in the hallway at a party. No one else sees. It's just her. And evidently, she does not like this now. And she kind of scolds him in the hallway. You know, you're getting sloppy. And I'm like, okay. And I, I looked at my phone and I went, all right, we're an hour in. And then something really strange happens because the scene, to my recollection, the next scene after that is Leonard Bernstein like outside talking to a journalist, or maybe it's a friend, or maybe it's a book author. It was very unclear. And they're just talking about Felicia. And they're talking about Carrie Mulligan's character and how this author has noticed how depressed Felicia has become and how the light has been taken out of her. And Leonard Bernstein goes off on this tangent about how, God, everything used to bring her joy, and now nothing seems to. She's just depressed all the time. And I'm watching this going, what? When did this happen? Every time I've seen Carrie Mulligan in this movie, she's been overjoyed. She's been totally in love with you or so happy. There was minimal conflict earlier. She kind of like gave you a slap on the wrist about kissing that guy. But 
you, I did not see any of this depression, any of this slump in the negativity. And that's when I realized, oh, I think there's another movie going on here that he's not showing us that's more interesting than the movie he's showing us. And I want to let you kind of chime in here, but I, I have some other, I, we're going to explain ourselves a little better, but just as a package, the movie didn't, it didn't connect. It, it, it did not, it, it is not fully realized. It's not, it's weird. I, I, the, yeah, the feeling that I had was, was when it was over, I was confused as to like, what should I take away? That's what you told me off mic. Yeah. You were like, yeah. what is the takeaway of it? And uh, definitely a question I have as well. I don't know. It felt to me like there were three different threads going on mm -hmm. and all of them had really good value to the, the work of this man the artistry, the career, the the passion for it, his sexuality, and his relationship with Carrie Mulligan. I'm putting together pieces for myself of these three things, but ultimately when it was over, I didn't really feel like I understood where any of that landed. Mm -hmm. It's a strange feeling because there's so much about this movie that like works and it's, and it's beautiful. And like, there's some scenes that are just so powerful, but to, to be left in a little bit of that way was a little off putting. And I still can't really exactly pinpoint why there was so much to be said. I think the, the, the spaces in between of this life lived, uh, I don't know how I want to say that. Um, I'm, 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 well, I was watching it and yeah, I'm like, is this, is this a movie about like a great conductor slash composer? Is this a biopic about that? Yeah. Is it really seems like he wants it to be a husband and wife movie. Like he, wa he actually wants it to be about this relationship, but then he would just abandon that strain for a while and pick up the composer thing. And then he would pick really heavily pick up the fluid sexuality not by showing anything just like that would be a focus for 10 15 minutes and then i'm like what movie are you trying to be in what what opinion am i supposed to have of of him i don't yes i don't really know what you want me to walk away with like i don't and then beyond that it was to get like into the the granular of it it was just losing me in sequence after sequence and there's a big sequence you know, we episode 55, our favorite movie arguments, we dedicated a whole episode to it. There's a big argument in this film. And the right away, I knew what he was doing. The camera is way, way, way far back. And it's just going to sit there. Yeah. And the camera is not going to move. And we are going to watch these two people argue within a frame. Cool. I'm all for it. This movie's rated R for two things, for some language and drug use. And I'm going to talk about both of those now. In this argument, it's really one of the only times a character saying fuck over and over and that's Carrie Mulligan. And I'm like, okay, so this argument is like your R rated scene. Okay. The setup of the argument is that Lenny is late for Thanksgiving and he walks in and his kids are like, Hey, way to be a day late to Thanksgiving dad. So I'm thinking he's going into the bedroom to talk to his wife and she is going to chew his ass out for focusing too much on his music and avoiding his family. So the argument starts and it's like going and a, a, a few minutes into the argument, I swear to God, I'm going to be so embarrassed if I'm wrong about this, but I swear to God, she says something to the effect of you're so talented and you're like wasting this talent and you're not utilizing it all enough. And I, I, I went, wait, it, what is she arguing for? What, what's her position? What I thought she was going to scold him for focusing too much on music. Is she telling him he's not focusing enough on it? And then what's his argument? I, 
I have no fucking clue what they're arguing about. I had no idea. None. And I still don't. Well, and this and this was part of the 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 problem for me is that it, it seemed like I never really knew where anything was. Like I never knew. And I, I didn't know. And I because the movie jumps from time a lot. A lot. It goes. Uh, I think well, pretty much in chronological order, but this is a no, huge it goes in chronological order. Yeah, so I guess it is making massive time jumps without yes. informing us. So now, like, we've never even seen Carrie Mulligan pregnant. Now they have like three adult children. I go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. When the fuck did this happen? And and that's totally fine to me. Like, like I don't mind movie moving in time jumps like this. Sure, sure. But when. It does happen. There is like a bit of like, I honestly, and I can't believe I'm saying this because like normally I don't care about these things, but this is something where I feel like timestamps could have actually been a little bit useful because the movie presents itself in a very straightforward narrative. It is not a, it is not a think piece. It is not a, uh, it's not, it's, it's not something that moves in an abstract fashion even like to the degree of something like, I don't know, I'm thinking of like Steve Jobs, where that movie just took like sure. three distinct chapters of this person's life. Mm-hmm. This movie is moving from point A to point B, and it jumps a lot. And when these jumps happen, we're clued into the scenario of their current life by a lot of outside exposition. Yeah. And I and, and and so we're we're literally being oh the, exactly what you mean you're we don't know where you're at with your work we don't know where you're at with this or that we have to find out through outside like voiceover or things like that or side comments from other characters so like you're, you're, there's when, a lot of that there's a lot that, that which goes to the the interview author thing I'm talking about yeah. we hear a lot of characters talking about things that have happened off screen yes like big pivotal things and big I go why are things. you not showing us this yeah why do I have to hear two people talk about it this is I thought this was like a big no-no for filmmaking but and, there's a lot of that a lot and like the one particular thing that like confused me is that like I didn't really know who Leonard Bernstein was I know nothing about him. I know I, he's responsible for um, uh, West Side Story, that music. That's all I know. Yeah. And Bradley Cooper, I mean, you, you better fuck. If you don't know about Leonard Bernstein, you're going to be lost as shit because he just expects you to be like a, a scholar on him. Yeah. And and the, the one part that really sort of like clued me into who he was, was there was a we were going we were the camera was panning through the house. And we're about to see them in a radio interview and the uh, voiceover yeah. of the radio is listing all the accolades. And I go, oh, oh, he did on the waterfront. Oh, he did. He did. This. Oh, OK. OK, I see. Right. But we're hearing that off camera from a journalist. Like what? Why? Why? I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. And then as it, the movie's going, if I'm just placing it on the work area, I don't know what he's working on. Never. I don't know what his relationship is to it. I'm hearing that this is a man who is consumed by his work, but I'm not seeing this consumption. They never showed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just sort of kind of grasp at these straws of there's ideas here mm-hmm. of something that I want to know more. And then we're placed in these time jumps where now we're here and we're we're getting information and then we're dealing with a moment. Mm-hmm. And in those moments is, I think, where the movie soars because like scene for scene, like some of these things are just breathtaking acting sequences. 
Um, I particularly love the scene with Maya Hawk and him where she's basically asking him, are you or are you not gay? Yeah, gay, bisexual. She's heard the rumors. And this, this yep. is a very good scene to bring up because it's a very well acted. Yeah, very. it's it's like Bradley Cooper and that took my breath away. Everything he wants to say, but isn't. Yeah. I'm also putting together things that I'm like, well, this was a certain time. Mm-hmm. This was this was a time where, you know, you'd be ruined if you were to come out and and yeah. to the world and be gay. So there is the secrecy that does need to be the happening. Um, but it's also how dangerous is this? Where are where is the stake of this? Yeah, it's just a little confusing. It's a little confusing to see where mm-hmm. everything like. So I, so I suppose when I was talking about like these three things where it's the sexuality it's the it's the work of his career and his relationship with Carrie Mulligan. I'm getting these ideas from each, but none of them are fully realized for what I was wanting. And I feel really bad saying that because like, who am I? <laughs> yeah, we both like the movie. We, we we're not like, yeah, we're, it's, not, it's why we're not dedicating an entire episode to this film because we both liked it. It's just it. OK, so I'm going to latch on to this conversation a little yeah. bit because there's OK. He comes home, Lenny comes home, the kids are there, and Maya Hawk, you know, is, plays his daughter. She's grown up now, obviously, because Maya Hawk's grown up. And Carrie Mulligan specifically asks Lenny, she says, if she asks you about your sexuality, lie to her face. Don't you dare tell her the truth. I had no idea why she told her that, or I had no idea why Carrie Mulligan said that, but I just shrugged and went, okay. So they go and they're having their little chat. And he bold-faced lies to her. She just flat out asks him, and he writes it off to jealousy. It's people who are jealous yep, of my career, yep. so they call me gay. And he's very conflicted and very tormented by this. Very well-acted scene. So, like, one of his best scenes in the movie. Yeah. The next time these two people interact, these two characters interact, for whatever reason, the movie cuts into Lenny doing a line of coke at a party. He holds his tray up, and his friend does a line of coke on it. His other friend does a line of coke on it. That's the only drug use in the movie. That's also why the movie's rated R. It does not need to be in there. And then he goes to like a closet, calls his daughter, and is now openly talking about his affairs with men. Just openly talking about them and rambling on because coke, because alcohol. And she is not, she does not respond in a shocked way. She responds in a way that They've already talked about this. They, he's, it's some, somewhere in the past, in the past, whatever, he's admitted the truth to her and like, oh yeah, you know that time I lied to your face? I actually, my sexuality is fluid. Like, sorry about that. But we don't see that conversation. Yeah. We don't see whenever he actually admitted the truth to her. Instead, she just scoffs on the phone and she goes, I don't like hearing about these things. Yeah. Which indicates that she's heard about it from him before. But why didn't you not show us that scene? Why show us this well-acted scene of you lying to her? And then the next time you guys communicate, it, it now now you're just talking about it openly. It very confusing to me. I just didn't get it. I didn't get what the intention was. And now we're going to get to the final thing. And then we're going to stop shitting on the movie. And we're going <laughs> to end this episode. Um, I'm sorry, folks. I'm very sorry. I'm sorry to Bradley Cooper. I'm sorry to say this. <laughs> Maestro commits a deadly sin of cinema. And that is that out of fucking nowhere, he turns the last third of this movie into a fucking cancer movie for no reason. Uh, yeah. 
only to manipulate its audience into sobbing by the end. We get the long scene where the doctor tells Felicia, played by Carrie Mulligan, that she is going to die of cancer. And then we have to watch Carrie Mulligan die of cancer for 25 minutes when this has nothing to do with the fucking movie. Nothing. This movie's about Maestro. This movie's not about Felicia. If the entire movie had just been about their relationship, their tumultuous relationship, this stuff would hit for me. But it wasn't. You've gone off on long tangents of things that had nothing to do with her. And now you want me to watch her die for 25, 30 minutes and just sob like most of the people in my theater were. And I was sitting there getting actively mad at it going, I know what you're fucking doing buddy i would give i would take any movie to task over this any movie this is horseshit and i resent it for that i did not i just flatly don't think that's cool i just don't i don't i cancer had nothing to do with the fucking movie nothing and then you spent such a long time on it people this is not three minutes he spends such a long time on this I actively dislike this part of the movie. I do. It's something I personally don't. I mean, um, I I hate the cancer move in movies. I hate. I it. don't. I don't mind a cancer movie like um, 50, 50, 50, 50 terms of endearment. Those yep. are cancer movies. I get it. You're I even, in it. But to to bring this in in like the fucking fourth quarter is it's yes. Oh, it's it's so manipulative because it's just come on. It's 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 one of those things. It's the it's the Deus Ex Machina. Like you 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 bring in cancer and it immediately changes everything because that's what cancer does. That's what, ca- of course, who, That's, the, who the fuck's going to get? We know what we're supposed to feel yeah. when we see cancer in a movie. We get it. That's why it makes me so mad. And <laughs> we can't deny that, you know, this happened in real life. This is what happened. Sure, of course. So, yes. yes so, of course. so we do have to go here. Uh, yes. But to, yes, to go with the, the third, the third act, uh, the last third of the movie and, and draw it out in the way, which is like the, the choices that the movie makes up until that point. Mm-hmm. You could just time cut <laughs> as as, yeah. as you've done throughout the whole entire thing, and you could have one scene where it's the goodbye or it's the the hugging the, the, scene. The, the, the hugging the, scene yep. in the kitchen was the cancer scene. Like that's yep. the cancer scene you can have. I didn't need twenty other minutes of scenes with that. And ultimately, to kind of go through this whole entire drawn out, you know, the whole like I mean, it's it is drawn the out. It is drawn it's, it's, you know, out. The, the whole thing. Then the thing that that confused me was the last shot of the movie. After we've come through everything, we're back, right back to the opening scene where we start, where he's playing the piano. And then we get this beautiful black and white shot of Carrie Mulligan and then the title card maestro. And then we go into credits. I didn't know what to make of that. I'm like, was this movie about her? Was this was movie- it about her? What like? Hey, I have a more basic question: Is Leonard Bernstein still alive? Yeah. I have no idea. I haven't even looked it up. What what happened to this guy? How many Oscars did he win? Whatever. Like, is is he still alive? I have not looked this up intentionally because I do not know. And the movie never tells us. Like, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I I agree. I I didn't know what to make of it. What just ending it like like that? That she was the most important thing to him, and he's realizing that in this interview right now is. Uh, y- yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yep. The cancer stuff isn't the very end because, again, talking about these time jumps, I looked this up. I had to look this up on Wikipedia. She died in 1978. So when we watch her die, like the slow, slow 
God, it's so drawn out. 1978. The next scene is him rolling up in a nice car to teach like this class. And REM's It's the End of the World is playing on the radio. So that gives us some indication of when we are because, you know, Lenny gets a name drop in that song. So that movie came out in 1987. So already that's like a jump in years, right? From when she died to when this song could presumably be playing on the radio and he's listening to it. Then he goes and teaches this like class. It's a brief teaching scene. The end of the sequence, the takeaway is that he's about to fuck one of his new younger male students. And so... So you just made us watch his wife die for 25 minutes and then you're jumping to a scene where he's very aggressively drunkenly flirting with a much younger male student and it, and everything's happy I think and and then the movie's just about done so I'm like it, what in the world is the takeaway here I I I don't I do not understand what's going on right now like I just and then it cuts to like that interview and he's like I just really miss her yeah. <laughs> and then that's that's it so that's that's our movie it you know there, there's just a lot going on. This is one of those movies that maybe if it was four hours, it would, it could connect so many threads. He's very, very, very big in the press for the movie saying that there's nothing left on the cutting room floor. He keeps saying all that. He needs a Bradley. Also, Bradley, like, I love you. I love you. I've always loved Bradley Cooper, but you know, you got to like, let's lock it up a little bit. Let's get a little tight. Like <laughs> you don't, I, I get that the movie, like it was hard to do, but like, you're crying when you're interviewed by Todd Phillips. Like you're crying when you're interviewed by Spike Lee. You're crying on CBS Sunday morning when you're with the Bernstein kids. Like let's just let's just lock it up. Let's lock everything up and just like talk about the movie. He he's carrying himself a little bit with like this is the best movie ever made or like the best movie of the year, and it's it's not. We just you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how people take this one. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be nominated for much if anything maybe i'm way wrong maybe it sneaks in there and gets the best picture i mean best picture who the hell knows there's 10 nominees who the hell knows i do not foresee actor director uh, oh i I don't i i think i think it's gonna go there i think i think i think we're gonna get i think we're gonna get i i for sure he you think director Mm mm-hmm I don't think so. I don't I, think they'll I, do it. Well, the thing is, is it, it depends on actor. Maybe the thing is, maybe. the Academy loves know. this stuff. They love. Well, this the Academy stuff. loves him. They love to nominate him and not award him. They do. They do that. I. But I could see him winning best best actor. No, 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 no. He won't win. No, he's. I don't no know, way. man. He's no, so no. good in it, though. You get fucking nuts with these I, predictions of yours. You, no, there's fucking best actors. Really, really strong. He's got. He is not. It, there's no consensus that will say Bradley Cooper's better than even Killian Murphy. And I don't even think Killian Murphy's at the top to win that award. I really don't. I don't know who's going to emerge, but I, I don't know if this don't movie know, will be man. in the running to win a- anything. I, I don't. Now, Netflix is Netflix. They have a lot of money. We're going to see what you know movies they are going to give the push to. But no, the nominations we'll see. You know what? This is a real test because the Academy does love shit like this. They do. So if they turn their back on Maestro... That's a huge middle finger to the movie. If they embrace it and it gets, you know, 11 nominations, cinematography, sound, all everything. It gets it all, you know, carry yeah. it all again. I, I'm not going to be mad at that. I'll be like, cool, cool. And I don't expect it to win anything, really. I, I don't know if this is going to do well nomination-wise. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I don't think. think. I think it I think, I think clean up. You're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> delete that part. No. So, <laughs> yes, we're – honestly, my review would be – more positive if it didn't go the way it did the last third of the movie. I I still can't believe he did that. I, uh, you know, 
there's a lot to like about the movie. It is competently shot. Some while we're saying the some of the editing, it it just confused me some of the storytelling. But like, I don't think that's necessarily the editor's fault. But yeah, I A Star Is Born was very very big IP in cinema. It had been attempted a few other times. It, you know, a lot of people knew that story. I I don't think this is nearly as good of an effort as that. So you know. He did have a life to fall back on. He had an entire life to craft the film out of. But we're going to Ken Bradley Cooper do an original screenplay written and directed solely from his mind. So it just came from Bradley Cooper's mind. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm here for it. I'll wait to see it. I don't know if that's in the cards for him as a director that we're going to get original stories for him. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm so partial to A Star is Born because I love that movie with all my heart. Yeah, that movie's great. It's so good. I would love to see something. I'd love to see something um, that's, uh, you know, th- th- this was a very, like, safe movie, too. And I, I, it is. It is. Yeah. It, it would be cool to see something that's not so safe. But I didn't want that from this, though, necessarily. I didn't either. Like, there's no, um, if it's rated R for drug use and you show him doing one line, that's not like, you could, if, did, did he have a drug problem? I, I just see him doing one line of coke. Like, did he actually have, like, an issue? I would love to see that explored. Did, yeah. You know? It is very, very timid with actual sex. Like there's ta- they talk about it, but there there's nothing that they, you know, show. It's not interested in that. But that would have been I still want people to watch it. No, but all right, that's you know, it's a little different for us, but I wanted to do that. I want to talk about the movie. We both literally just did watch it. Very interested to hear what people think about Maestro. Let us know on Twitter, on Instagram. We're thriving on Instagram. We're doing great. Let us know at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. But as always, thanks for listening and happy watching. Hey, everyone. It's Alex. Okay. This is a first. (laughs) This episode was done. We signed off. We stopped recording. It was over. But then we kept talking. Nick told me that he had more to say about Maestro And he felt that he hadn't necessarily expressed himself as well as he could have during the episode. So the guy just starts talking about Maestro. And instead of breaking his flow, I pulled out my phone and secretly began recording a voice memo of us talking. (laughs) So the following is about nine bonus minutes of Maestro talk, but with crappy iPad to iPhone voice memo audio. This is fun for me for two reasons. One, as an audience, You are getting to hear exactly how Nick and I talk about movies when we are not recording. Spoiler alert, it's uh, damn near the same, (laughs) but it's just fun to hear us totally unfiltered like this. Two, more importantly, at the end of this recording, I admit to Nick that I have secretly been recording this, and I don't think he believed me. I don't think he has any idea that this audio is actually in this episode. I didn't warn him or anything. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, there were more things in there that I was like, and this doesn't make sense either. And and yeah, like the takeaway at the end with the uh, with the like the way he was so sloppily hitting on that guy. So like, I'm like, did she want him to be gay? Just embrace it. She did say that at one point. She's like, I just want you. You're gonna waste like who you are by not being open about it. But now that he is open about it, he's like a sloppy mess. And it's like, if if you want, if if there was a point where you wanted to say about him, he finally embraced his sexuality in a way where it's like, okay, 
Like, like it's I all okay. I, I accept, I'm cool doing this like in the pu- in public now in front of my students. If that was the thing, then tell me that. Yeah. I guess I'm not smart enough to take that away from it. But what I got it's, from it is, yo, my wife just died. So now I can go sleep around. That's, that was my like takeaway. That, like, that, like he's so sweaty in that, that shirt as he's dancing with that kid. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm sure you clearly you're embracing it, but it, it's not a good look. No, and you look like a I fucking mess. Away, yeah, like what am I supposed to take away with that? Too, yeah. but then it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. That's yeah. It, so, like, what are you trying to say about yourself? What are you trying to say about Leonard Bernstein? Like, I don't. And then, like Carrie Mulligan, like I mean, she just she literally got the treatment of like the girl. Where in the beginning, I started, I understood her. Like, oh, here's this girl who comes to Hollywood fresh faced finds this love they handled the, that those love scenes very well so All the well. black, honestly the black and white part of the movie to me made sense yeah that's we should have said that that's fair i agree i agree like, it's because it's it, like it all, half and half about about yeah yeah and and, and 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 because there is no conflict yet you know we're setting this up and you're like okay this is this is the setup for everything this is how it's moving once they're living together and that time jump happens, like I start to lose the thread of where she's at. I get that she's not acting anymore and that she'd like to, but that's it. There was this whole change within her apparently where she started to actively not like or or be like upset with his sexuality or something. I I don't know, but they just didn't show us that. And I, yeah, I I was, I was very confused. And the whole, like, while the symphony, the conducting, is good the way that it waits to show us that she's there. I'm like, I would have loved to know she was there from the beginning. I think it would have hit so much better, but it like waits to show us. And I go, so I, I, I just, I didn't get any rushes over to hug her. So I'm like, is it, is it all about her or like, is it about the, or is it both? I don't fucking know. And, and I'll be honest with you, man, this is really funny. I didn't even think about this until you brought it up that, that, that was the scene that he was rehearsing for, for six years. Yeah. I tuned out completely during that whole entire <laughs> It's like the thing he fought for the most. Dude, that's hilarious that you tuned out. That's supposed to be like the time that you're locked in. Oh my that's, God. I, I, I was more locked in. I was like, I, I was, I was really locked uh-huh. in in the one conducting scene where he was like in like that classroom type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that, the one we're talking about where he's like, well, that was cool. Cause he was actually, t- he taught me something there. I was like, Oh, I get what he's talking about. Like to do the dub. But then he like starts making out with that kid. I'm like, is this, but then I wondered, I'm like, last year we saw tar. That movie was all about like, you know, some, a woman, uh, being with one of her students and it's kind of this me too thing. So I'm looking, I'm like, is he trying to apply that to it? Is, is what this movie's showing me in the end? Is it okay that he's about to sleep with one of his students in a very sloppy way right after we just watched his wife die of cancer? Is that okay? Or do you want us to be judging him right now? Because the dude yes. just has this goofy smile on his face. Like he's a pig and shit. And he's about to have sex with this dude. Like, I don't know, 40 years younger than him. He looks happy. So as an audience member, am I supposed to be happy or am I supposed to be judging him? I, I don't get it. I don't I, get it. The ultimate takeaway and is that when this movie was said and done, I didn't know who Leonard Bernstein was to start. And I still don't know. No idea. Over. Yeah. I get that he's done a couple things and that, that was all told to me. But ultimately, I don't I, I don't see this 
passion. I mean, I saw a passionate performer when he's doing his work, but I don't see like this ambition. Like, they never this, showed like, the ambition. They, the first yeah. time we see him, it's like he, he catches his, so it's not a cradle to grave thing because we don't see him being born. The first time we see him, he's catching his big break. And that's like the yeah. big thing. He's, and then there's no conflict for an hour and we're just seeing him rise, rise. But there's never anything that gets brought up of like, like a struggling artist or he's just, we're just supposed to accept it. Like he's a genius. It's, you know, it's fine. But yeah, the, the ambition thing, I didn't get anything like that. Nothing. Any of that where it's taking away time from everything yeah. and the sexuality. I'm like, how deep is this? Like how, how much does she know and that she's okay with? I like, and then like when she's kind of doing her own thing, like she's got that great monologue that close up shot of her where she's just sort of like, I guess I, I track the same type of like, yeah, that had slipped my mind. I forgot about that. That's right. And I loved her in it. I did. You said I yeah. would love her in it. I loved yep. her in it. He gave her that big movie star introduction. I did. I loved her. He's good in it. I just often didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. I didn't know why I needed to care. I didn't, I didn't have an issue with the makeup or the nose. I don't care about no, that. I, 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 I don't care about that. He actually looks a lot like him. Like I did yeah. bring up the real him conducting that symphony. I was like, whoa, he does look a lot like him. But even bringing in the Coke for one scene, I just didn't, I, I didn't get it. I didn't know why. Uh, are, are you telling me this guy had a problem with drugs or that he just like had fun in the or 60s and 70s? Like, I, I don't get it. And it's fine if this is just his lifestyle and that's all you want to say about it. Yeah. But then like there is no opinion to form. I I took that as a very laissez-faire. It's like, oh, this is just how this guy lives. Yeah. And And that's fine. But then why are we like, what am I supposed to like? Uh, was 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 this just to get to the phone call right with the daughter and, and and that's and that's what i took it as like okay you needed to be keyed up to call Maya hawk and i assumed to finally admit hey when we had that conversation i lied to you i actually am fluid sexually but instead it's like he just says he just starts talking about it and it's like they've they had that conversation where he admitted yeah. that he lied but they just didn't show us that it was, it was so confusing to me yeah, and I'm still confused with the last shot. I actually forgot that until you said it. I forgot that that's what it was. And yeah, like, is this, I mean, it'd be kind of a cool movie if it was just about her and like this really, really famous guys. I mean, they did that. They tried that with Priscilla earlier this year. Because, uh, yeah, because he clearly knows this guy better than anyone else. He just doesn't display that. So I think he thinks that the sexuality part, like that conflict is so much more engrossing in the movie than it is. What he wants to say about Carrie Mulligan's character is so much deeper than it shows. And that the work that he puts in, because he put in that work, it doesn't translate. Nothing, nothing comes through. We just get this very surface level ideas of these things that when it's all said and done, I'm like, I don't have any impact. They don't have any impact. Yeah, it, it was almost like he was so close to him that he just assumed the whole world is too. When uh, honestly, dude, like I, I talk to I talk to people who don't even you know who haven't even seen like Jaws, and you think like everyone knows who Leonard Bernstein is. Like it doesn't. I, I yeah, I don't really know who the guy is. So I didn't walk away with any new understanding of him. Uh, yeah, well acted, well shot, but weird. I don't know. What. I'm I'm sorry I let you down. I, I knew I was during it. I just didn't really know how to how to speak to it. Well, it's fine because I've been secretly recording this conversation, so I'll just include it all in the podcast. Perfect. That's all. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Perfect. No, it's fine. 
I still did like it. I just wanted to like it more. Do you think? Yeah, I, no, it won't be in my top ten. It definitely won't be in my top ten of the year. No, I don't think so. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostel.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time, we're talking about our favorite about-face films, the movies we have changed our minds on the most. Stay tuned.